0: Hey, what's up, fam? Hope you're doing well. Um, this is a new promo uh, for a web show that I just started. Um, if you're following me on social, you've already seen it pass by on your feed. It's uh, Gomalukul Live where I sit down with um, indigenous leaders and allies um, talking about leadership. And No, no, sorry. I'm, I'm telling this the wrong way. Um, what's in it for you is that you can get to pick their brains. Um, you get to ask questions and they get to uh, answer them directly live um on the, lo- the live stream we're streaming to at least we're starting off with twitter uh facebook and youtube uh, you can j- just drop your uh, questions in there and we'll answer them live uh, so yeah please tune in i uh, would love to have um, you engage in that conversation and this is your podcast this is the gomaluku podcast
1: Hello everyone, my name is uh, Tuhi Matuga, it's my traditional name. But most people know me by Jocelyn. And uh, I'm from Taiwan, I'm from the Pinu people, I'm from the Gazafakan community. And uh, I used to work for Taiwan Indigenous TV, but now I'm working in politics. Anyway, I will be your moderator today. Hello, in Avayan, that's my language, to greet people. And uh, so, Thank you for joining the fourth episode of the special series How to Indigenous Governance and Diplomacy for the Now. And today we're going to talk to some of the world's leading Indigenous Peoples representatives and allies to discuss perspectives and practical ideas on this important topic. They are all leaders in their respected field and committed to inspire and empower Indigenous peoples around the world. So, if you are participating in the Zoom or watching on the Facebook live stream, please let us know uh, in the comments where you are watching from. And also, we have some quick things to just to announce. First, that uh, the Web9 li- uh, series will be recorded and repurposed for the Go Maluku podcast. And also, please do engage with each other in this conversation through the chat or the comment, and also let each other know what your answer will be to a question and if you have heard a good quote. And also, please help us to keep the conversation going on Twitter by using the hashtag HowToIndigenousNow, and you can tag Gonzali in your post. Uh, It's at Maluku. uh, g-o-m-a-l-u-k-u and feel free to share any questions or screenshots or feedback and uh, also if you have joined us via zoom we have the amazing support of our interpreters they are very important thank you uh, thank them very much we have interpreters in Spanish French and Russian so you can select the language of your choice just below somewhere here <laughs> I think you will see it It should be somewhere there and you can just make sure that if you are listening to the interpreter just put the original language on mute okay so that's the introduction to the, to the series today <laughs> and should i talk, go directly with uh, our first guest yeah okay <laughs> all right so our first guest she is an amazing lady <laughs> and i'm very honored that i've known her for some years i've learned a lot from her that's ruka Luca from aman she is the first Female Secretary General of the Indigenous Peoples Alliance of the uh, Archipelago. I'm not so sure if my pronunciation is good, uh, but we usually call it Aman. It's the world's largest Indigenous Peoples organization, and it's in Indonesia. And Lukan is a Torajan from Highlands of Sulawesi. It's a starfish-shaped island of the with the size of Florida. Uh, I'm very lucky that I visited Luca's uh, community last summer. <laughs> and Luka is known for her fiery oratory and her long time dedication to the indigenous rights movement. And also her parents hosted a meeting in 1993 and that is often cited as its genus of indigenous movement in Indonesia. So it's also the start of Aman and the start of a lot of things, a lot of um, amazing journey of indigenous peoples in the world. So now I will hand over to Gonzali and also Luca.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Jocelyn, for being a, being a co-host for uh, the fourth episode, um, being a guest in the, the, the what is it, the second episode, and then uh, upgraded to, uh, to a co-host, and probably uh, you will host it by yourself uh, in episode eight or nine, maybe. Because um, you're doing you're doing quite well, so thank you so much for that. Ruka, uh, selamat malam. Hope you're doing okay. Um, how are you doing so far? Let's start with with two minutes. How you are doing um, handling the pa- pandemic?
2: Um,
3: uh, I think this might hurt some if I say that um, I cherish the pandemic because there are a lot of good things, a lot of good lessons uh, from what is going on now, especially for us indigenous peoples. And this is the time for us. Uh, This is the time uh, really for indigenous peoples to to show the world that what we've been fighting for is true. Because the pandemic, the virus giving us all the answers now. We've been trying to convince government We've been trying to convince all the uh, invaders to come to our uh, in, uh, invaders on our inter, um, indigenous territories. They never listen. Now, Pyrus came and they say you have to listen to us. So oh, that's no. uh, and before we continue, I would say uh, manasu Moraka uh, that's my greetings. Uh, Tabaya, uh, Hotu, Selamat malam, and we say Salam Nusantara because that's how uh, we. Wrap all the indigenous uh, greetings across uh, archipelagos because if we if I have to mention one by one, we'll have to spend like one whole year. Gasali yes, knows that.
0: I know, I know. Uh, thank, thank you so much for also gr- greeting um, in like the, the various languages in 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 Indonesia. Um, jumping right into it, um, you as the Secretary General, how did you navigate N- Amman through the pandemic, and what is you already alluded a little bit to it what is the biggest lesson that you have learned as a leader
3: I have mentioned earlier that uh, this virus is our friend I, I see we see the virus is actually the force that is sent by the nature by the mother earth and our ancestor spirits to us to help us yeah uh, this virus uh, that's the lessons uh, for me that's the first lessons the virus is make, make sure that you have to stay where you are stop being greedy this is really a punishment for greedy private companies uh, so that's the, the first uh lessons i i really got and um how do we how do we know that uh and i think that's because um from from the beginning uh, we already as organizations we already have the preparations. We already have uh, emergency response uh, protocols in place uh, since 1990, uh, 19, uh, 2018, uh, two years back. We already have that protocol. We already set up uh, emergency response team. We already set up a special account for emergency response, so we don't have to all the time uh, digging everywhere or begging from uh, from everybody and especially now in the time of this uh, virus it's difficult to very rely on donors to give us money because they're also struggling so we have that and then from the beginning we we are ahead of even our government actually we before the government the, our government well even until today they are still in denial uh, but at the very beginning, they really refused to say that this is the crisis, this is the uh, cri- this is the pandemic and we have to do this, this. They never do that. But we already say indigenous peoples, we cannot rely on others. We cannot rely on our government. We can only rely on ourselves. We can only rely on our culture and solidarity. That's our strength. So we Im- immediately announced that we are in crisis We have to uh, stop uh, traveling, and uh, we actually uh, canceled our big meeting, and everybody had to stay at home. Uh, We do lockdown, we call it indigenous lockdown, and also what we call uh, quarantine with dignity. Quarantine with, with dignity is what we have to make sure with lockdown is you close the gate to indigenous community, you have to make, we have to make sure that none of this virus will reach our community. If we are disciplined doing that, and that's also the time for the young people, young healthy people, yeah? Healthy, it has to be healthy. Young healthy people to go and make posts, um, uh, watching posts, uh, monitoring posts around our indigenous uh, territorial boundaries. So that's also the time for us to again, uh, start to go back go and recognize uh, every single uh, inch of our uh, territorial boundaries so they are doing that and while we are doing the lockdown all the activities around around uh, inside the community can be very normal people still go to farm people still go fishing people still go to the to the fishermen still go to the to, to the sea they still go they go to the forest it is still going on until now, because we still we maintain that lockdown now. And then, this is also what I would like to uh, highlight, that uh, through this pandemic, all the things that we believe in is happening. We believe in solidarity. We believe in women. We believe in young people. They are the ones who are leading this whole thing. The women, they form the groups, they make masks the elders, the shamans, they make a traditional medicine, they give it around uh, in the community, everybody gets the vitamins, indigenous vitamins. And the young people, when we say, women and young people, when we say, we are going to have food crisis, everybody has to start um, planting the short-term crops. They just, they did it immediately. And now, so now, some of our community have started to harvest because they started early in March, so now they are harvesting. So that's that's what that's what is going on now in 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 Indonesia. Uh, indigenous communities we are doing pretty well because we are prepared. We were prepared in the beginning.
0: Um, uh, Ruka, if if you can, um, ex- in terms of like, I think that it will be. Uh, very interesting to uh, Indigenous Peoples, uh, representatives that uh, also like our umbrella organizations. Um, if you could describe, if you can, like the process of coordinating or communicating uh, what you just now said. Like, um, like it sounds like um, you're all, all for empowerment of like women, youth. Um, how do you communicate that? Uh, what methods do you use and what is the message that you bring?
3: I think that's one of the blasts of a, a communication technology. Yeah. We should, and also globalization. We shouldn't be against everything because we have to make sure that we get the best uh, out of it. And then we have to make, make sure that all the bad impacts, all the bad aspects of this whole thing will not, uh, we, we will avoid. Uh, we are using um, online communications, ICT, yeah, information and communication technology. We are using. Now, the only thing I regret now is I'm so tired of sitting in Zoom meetings. We, we, and this is also shows the dynamics that we are indigenous peoples. We have the capacity to adapt, yeah? Can you imagine just last week for the first time in the history, Apai Janggut, the old the elder from Sungai Uti in West Kalimantan speaking to me on Zoom. So that's how what we call communication for empowerment of indigenous peoples, and especially our, our, our women and young people. Uh, so they are, they are, we are we are communicating, we are navigating, we are coordinating our works all through WhatsApp group. Um, Facebook, we don't do much, but we do WhatsApp group a lot and also do this Google Meet. So we do all these different platforms of communications, of course we do have uh, challenges, big challenge, because that's the digital divide things comes in, where even if we have connections, we don't have adequate bandwidth. So we cannot, they can only listen, but they cannot show their video because they, they, if once they turn on the video, then it will go uh, off. Uh, there's also places where we do have connections, but indigenous peoples, they don't have access to energy yeah they they are off grid that's why they even if they have tools and we can provide tools they simply cannot because they are off grid so these are the challenges that we are facing it's it's a big challenge it's so so hard but because we are working together across indonesia 21 our local our regional chapters at provincial level and 114 um local chapters uh but i think the biggest Challenge also is uh, in, in your homeland, uh, Ghazali, in the small islands, because, and this is, this is really source the disparity of this country because the small islands are always considered second class of territory. They don't have enough uh, infrastructures. It's so difficult to communicate with them. Sometimes we feel like we want to, we want to send messages through the wind, if it's mm. possible. Yeah, it's it's yeah. That's less. That's the thing. So indigenous peoples, I I believe we do have the capacity to to adapt quickly, uh, very quickly. Uh, in the beginning, we all like struggling. How do we do this? How do we do that? But now we have like, we have like hundreds people already can be a host of our Zoom meetings. So we spread around. They have their own meetings, meetings, meetings. So we we our principles is we it is not social distancing, it is physical distancing, but we, because we need that social closeness, and that's our capital. The main, uh, the main capital of indigenous peoples is the social bond, solidarity among us. So that's, that's, how, we, that's how we adapt and survive so far, thank goodness.
0: Uh, Ruka, let, let me uh, also like talk a little bit, uh, or set you up for something that you really would love to talk about. And I know that you are a, a, a very um, yeah, strong supporter of Indigenous people's right in decision making. Um, you talked about resiliency of Indigenous people's adaptation. Um, how does, for people that do not know Indianese people's right to participate in decision making, how big of a role does that play in resiliency in, in your mind?
3: Uh, it is very, it is very much. I think we, if we talk about a different level, yeah. Uh, when we talk about because indigenous peoples, we are now under the um, uh, colonizations of modern state, uh, and we always say nothing about us without us. Uh, every single decision uh, made that will impact our life, we have the right to be there to make the decision together. We have to be at the table. Um, in, in Indonesia, it is also one of the, the examples that for more than 10 years now, we still uh, unable to get our Indigenous uh, Rights Act uh, adopted. Why? Because we are not there. And also why all of, all of these uh, bad policies and bad laws are a, are exist just because when they are made, our voice, our representatives is not there. So that's why it is very important for us, for indigenous peoples to uh, strengthen ourselves and find a way to navigate ourselves and find the mechanisms how do we navigate and get into that decision-making processes. We cannot be just become like spectators anymore. We have to be there because that's, they, we are talking about our life it has to be our decision. So that's at uh, when we're talking about the state, yeah, uh, with the with the state uh, public policy. Uh, when it comes to the indigenous um, indigenous to, uh, peoples, again at two levels. When it comes to indigenous people who still holding on the traditions, who still have who still have uh, control over uh, our ancestral territories and we still manage our territory. We live every day from our territory, from our resources. Those are the ones who prove the resiliency. They are the ones because in the early beginning in March, we say we are going to have food crisis. So each of the community, we need to identify our food stock, how much we gonna last. Uh, well, back then we kind of, we kind of like underestimate actually the uh, virus, we say we have to make sure for the next six, uh, three to six months, we have to have food. Indigenous people that I mentioned earlier who still, um, who still uh, exercise their uh, self governance, uh, the collective decision making processes where they involve like women, young people, all elements of the community, and they have control over the land, they are the ones who even have the food for like years. Yeah? but indigenous peoples who have been affected, <coughs> sorry, my dog is barking. But indigenous peoples who uh, have been um, impacted by the bad decisions made by uh, our politicians, uh, uh, country's politicians whose land have been taken away, whose land have been uh, transformed into oil palm, uh who's become now become the labor for a big companies they are the one who don't have anything so it is very clear this has something to do because we don't have access to decision making as indigenous peoples to decision making process in the public policies making and therefore and also they don't consider our voice there is no like free prior from consent in the indonesian uh, policy and laws and At the local, at the community level, where community are uh, united and still have strong governance and decision-making process still going on, culture we still uh, follow our ancestor uh, way. They are the one who like, they even offer food to others. So we've been doing all of that, yeah, sending food to cities. You know, because it's it's now, it's very clear now Gasali and Jocelyn, that indigenous people's we are the one who feed the world not monsanto not governments not private sectors we are indigenous peoples and farmers and peasant uh, people farmers we are the one who give food to people because we also have um one big group in uh, around jakarta around the capital because there are so many like millions hundreds thousands of uh, member of union workers has been laid off. So the farmers who are facing operations from the state company, from the state company, they were the one who's sending 100 tons, has been sending 100 tons of rice to Jakarta and feed the laborers that have been uh, jobless. It's not the company, it's not the government who give a, give them food but it is the farmers around java who give them food so i think that's for me that's one of the big message uh from from the pandemic that it's which i truly believe we are the one actually the actor of development we are the one who giving the food to the world not monsanto to be honest
0: uh, thank you so much, uh, Ruka. I think I think I I think many indigenous people agree with you that now is the time for indigenous people to really assert their right to participate, to really be in those negotiations at the table, um, be in those uh, in those discussions. Um, what are your plans? Um, I know that that Indonesia is a very delicate situation in terms of um, implementing indigenous rights. What are your plans on, on implementing indigenous rights domestically in Indonesian context, and what role does diplomacy um play in that
3: yeah thank you diplomacy is very important because diplomacy is a life skill yeah uh, the skill that actually we all, everybody has the talent for that but first it has to be it has to be guided yeah it has to be guided and then these people who have the diplomacy skill We'll have to know where they are from, what kind of aspiration they have to bring in. So that's uh, in in Aman we work more at uh, local level, provincial and district levels. Why it is why it is one of our approach because the farther uh, the f- farther we are from our ancestral land, the weakest the weaker we are, weaker in terms of because we are small. So in the places where we are, we are more like, it's not dominant, but it's more of, um, we are politically can be dominant at local level. That's the place where we say, oh, this is where we can, we can be in control. We can be on the right, we can, we can influence the decision making process. So through that, uh, we have that kind of like scanning of uh, the situations of local level Indonesia. So we started actually in two thousand seven. This are the place where we can send our, we can educate or we can uh, develop our politicians. So we do have politicians, indigenous politicians, who we deliberately send to uh, the local parliament and also the national parliament, but with the very very clear uh, assignment and with the very clear mechanisms, because we know. When people go to politics without a monitoring mechanisms by organization and by their people who they represent, they can lose uh, into the cracks. So that's, that's, that's a very uh, uh, strategic now in Indonesia when we work at local level because at national level, I can say we don't have control, um, and again, all these uh, crazy um, uh, political parties—they are especially now Indonesia. I'm sure you you know that all the state cap- capture theory that we learn in in uh, political science is happening in Indonesia. And why I say state capture? Because now in Indonesia, you cannot see the difference in terms of their positions and their aspirations between. The administration uh, the administration's government and the parliament and the private uh, sectors they all have same voice so this is state uh, what uh, state capture is so uh therefore we need to we need to get more of our people our leaders to to learn how to do uh, diplomacy and we need to we need to also provide them with platform yeah with platform how they have to work and also very important that they are just human being. We need to monitor them 24 hours in my experience. Every time it's was like, knock, knock, how are you? How are you? And they say, yeah, I'm doing fine. Mm, you're doing well. It's like, yeah, you've been naughty. No, thank goodness. Yeah, so that's that's kind of things that we need to do with them. But also, but also don't let them alone. Yeah, we provide supports to them. Yeah, so we have like experts who can do the right things, and sometimes like in the middle of the night, I have to write uh, talking points for them. That's totally fine, because that's what the constituency is for. That's what the organization is for. We need to support because they are navigating in the very dark uh, gray world. And then, then we are the one who have to keep on providing them the light, the torch from the, from behind. So that's my, my, my experience and my opinion on this uh, Gasali. It's very, very important.
0: Well, thank you so much. And you, I think you, you, you touch upon a very serious element of diplomacy that a lot of people neglect, because um, a lot of people think it is all about position papers and big statements, but it's also very much about providing uh fingertip value, uh, textual language. doesn't matter what time it is. And, you know, it is... Very important that we as Indigenous peoples keep doing that, providing that, that information that the people that we support uh, need. As I thank, you, thank you so much for, for highlighting that. Um, Ruka, we're ending, uh, nearly ending, uh, com- coming towards the end of, of our segment. Is there anything that we did not touch upon that you really want to talk about um, or want people to think about?
3: Um, I think, and this is especially to our dipl- Indigenous diplomats to take on from now because now indigenous people this is the this is this is our moment yeah this is our moment this virus is our friend it shows us the the way where we have to go it shows us the it gives us the evidence how to argue yeah and how how to argue how to convince uh, our our opponent how to convince them so i think we have to already think of just not just stuck with the pandemic, but we already think of what's beyond this. So, I am my, my message to our diplomats, including Glassali and Jocelyn, and whoever here are probably watching on Facebook and kind of like giggling. Uh, <laughs> but to all of our indigenous di- diplomats, if we see ourselves now, yeah, the next future. First, the current economic uh, setting is no longer feasible. It is out of questions. What we need to have in the future, then we, we have to start now. Is if we see economy, of course we still have to be connected. That's why I say we cannot we cannot go against everything about globalizations. But we, I see our future economy, the new economy should be an economy that looks like a mosaic but made of of thousands hundreds thousands millions of small small local economies because the small local economy system they are built on based on reciprocity solidarity indigenous systems traditions what we need to have for in, uh, for indigenous peoples is we need to bridge yeah, we need the to to have mechanism to bridge us with others, allowing us to continue to feed them. So that's that's that should be the things that we all uh, I mean all the indigenous uh, diplomacy out there have to be already thinking. So when you talk with government or private company, tell them we don't want you, we don't need you because we can help ourselves. So that's I think I think uh, that's from me, Gasali. So please keep that in mind whenever you go.
0: Thank you so much, Ruka. And um, hopefully, because uh, we're not not near the end of the webinar series yet, uh, we can come back with you because I'd love to unpack a lot more about your, your thoughts and your ideas. You're definitely leading one of the biggest Indians people's organizations in the world. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a, a lot of lessons to be learned um, that we can share with, with the and the other Indians peoples. And also, like, you are... Um, a role model as, as a, a indigenous woman um so i think um yeah there's definitely a lot more that we can uh, say of course in, in, in 15 to 20 minutes thank you so much um uh, uh, uh,
3: <laughs> uh, excuse me i i need to turn off my video so i get better connection we are in the third world sorry
0: that's okay thank you so much um Jocelyn, or how do, you, how, do you want, how do you want me to do, um, to t- talk to you from now on? Is it Tui or uh, Jocelyn?
1: Well, mm, let's start, let's try Tui from now on. <laughs>
0: Tui it is, Tui it is.
1: Okay. Yeah, all right. So thank you again, Ruka. You know, he, she. I'm so happy that she mentioned about monitoring system to the indigenous politicians that's something I was talking about last time, that you know, we really need to have a system to go with the indigenous politicians in their work. Otherwise, the politicians are actually quite lonely and quite helpless a lot of times. So now we are turning to our next uh, guest. So uh, our next guest is Tu, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, but uh, Tu, Sumda Grant, I'm sorry, and she is from Greenland, she is the member of the Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, and her term will be from this year, 1st of January until uh, 2022, December 31, so two years, oh three, wait, one, two, three years, and (laughs) really bad (laughs) at math, and she's from for she has for the last six years been a policy officer at the human rights division of the european external action service where she is responsible for a range of human rights files including the rights of indigenous peoples and for nearly three decades in her capacity as an official of the greenland government she also served as the executive secretary for the indigenous people to secretary of the Arctic council in the years uh, from 1996 to 2000. So I guess she will be a, and also will she can provide us very good advices important advices to how to be an indigenous politician or how can we navigate ourselves in the overall politics. So, and now I hand over to Gonzali.
0: Uh, Thank you so much. I very much agree with you, Jocelyn. Um, Arctic Council, um, the um, parliament of, of, of uh, the Greenland government, sorry, and the European Union, um, that, that's, it's a very uh, impressive um, yeah, resume. Um, so let, let's, let's take a trip down memory lane because I also know that you're now finishing up your term over at the EU. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us uh, whilst you're uh, finalizing uh, your work over there. Um, so may- maybe best question to start with is because um, you've been in the Greenland government for 30, for 30 years. Uh, what is your biggest lesson uh, f- from um, being in the Greenland government?
4: Yes, thank you to Tui and to Gasali for your introductions. And, and, and also big thanks for organizing this very interesting uh, webinar. Uh, it's a great concept. Um, uh, just to to sum up, I mean, regarding my uh, resume, I mean, it has taken me thirty years to build it up, so <laughs> no wonder it's so uh, yeah large or, or broad. Um, now, let me just say that the, uh, when when I started as an official uh, in the of the Greenland government, it was then. Still, on what we call home rule, um, and that home rule was then uh, expanded in two thousand and nine to what we call uh, self government, which meant uh, further competences um, and also, uh, most importantly, in 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 the when it comes to subsoil resources, uh, minerals, oils, etc uh but also uh, the recognition of the of the greenland people uh, as um, as peoples according to international law with the right of self determination so there was a, a a schedule agreed for uh if and when the people of greenland wish to secede uh, from the danish Kingdom, the Danish realm, uh, then there is a process foreseen for that. Uh, <clears throat> now, my, my big, biggest lesson from being uh, with the Greenland government uh, through 30 years is that self-determination, self-government uh, is a process with many, many dimensions. Uh, and it's a process that needs to be internalized within each and every member of of your people. Uh, And and you have to keep constantly, uh, build up your capacity, build up education, I mean, uh, focus on education of of the young, but also lifelong learning for for adults. and try to continue uh, securing the democratic uh, safeguards even within your own people Uh, and to maintain uh, coherence within your own people or among your own people and in order to maintain that uh, coherence you also need to focus very much on on the Everyday life and conditions of each and every member of of uh, of, of your people. Uh, the reason why I'm saying that is that um, I mean, just because that we that we achieve uh, an enhanced self-government where we can we can determine our own education sector, health sector, housing. Uh, yeah. Uh, production sector, fisheries, uh, everything, it doesn't mean that, uh, that all is well. I mean, many people, ordinary people will, will continue to struggle uh, financially if, they, if there is also not a, a focus on, on, on their needs. And the reason why I'm saying it, that the, in the run-up to the to the South uh, government that we have now, uh, that we got in 2009, you could sense that there was an enormous cohesion uh, among the Greenland, uh, within the, uh, our people. Uh, and there was a lot of optimism and the promise of uh, of economic expansion, uh, everyone would get a better life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then, only a few years when the new government uh, was, f- for many many reasons, uh, not able to really deliver uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, increasing the 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 well-being, the social well-being of especially the poorest among us, then uh, there was a a sense of discontent started to grow. And which in my opinion, was then very much instrumentalized by what I would call ultra nationalist uh, or populist, uh, national populist uh, politicians. And where today, unfortunately, and that is my very personal opinion where I see and enhance polarization within uh, within Greenland society, within our own people, and that is very very uh, unfortunate, and that and that just yeah, that it just underlines the importance of, uh, I mean, in order to really maintain coherence within your own people, you have to have uh, attention to how. People live their ordinary lives and their living conditions. To make sure that everyone is happy, that also individuals' rights are safeguarded. So that was, in short, what what I think uh, is one of the biggest lessons uh, from the Greenland uh, situation.
0: No, thank you, thank you so much Tube, for for, uh, for for sharing that, because um, I know that there's. Um, Participants are like panelists, attendees to, to the webinar series. People that are watching are very much interested because um, they want to elevate or um, yeah, re- yeah bring back their indigenous government um, to yeah, to make it more um, yeah how do you say it' um, official quote unquote um, so that they can really exercise to re- right to self determination um, so like th- this brief insight is is very much helpful um like l- linking it to that what is it that indigenous governments or potentially indigenous governments should be paying more attention to in order to become stronger um, for themselves and then also hopefully in in extension of that strengthen the movement
4: let me just uh, just start by saying that the that the greenland government is not Per definition an indigenous government it's a territorial public government but where us Greenlanders the Greenland Inuit are in majority so it is you can say it's a de facto indigenous government sure sure yeah Uh, but what what we should what should we pay attention to to uh, become uh, stronger uh, as indigenous movement um, for certain is that we, we we need to i mean as i said before continuously invest in cohesion but also have strong networks i mean uh, with each other um, and uh, and really uh, and and also invest in uh, in also our relations with indigenous peoples in in yeah, all over the world, and maybe also in particular our neighboring countries, uh, because there is a lot of uh, lot to be learned in exchanging on best practices, lessons learned, etc., and also for generating ideas. I mean, I mean, other indigenous peoples may have solutions for something that we know, uh, that we experience. Uh, but that we never thought of ourselves. Uh, I mean, one example is, for instance, in Greenland, like in in many, uh, among many sort of more urbanized indigenous uh, uh, peoples or societies, you see a very, very high level of uh, uh, a suicide rate uh, among the young uh, and especially among the, the men, the young men, the boys. And there, uh, other indigenous peoples may have actually solutions that we never really thought about or that we never tried. So, that is just one example. Um, Yeah, that in short, this is.
0: Sure. Um, um. Just for, for people's um uh, view, like, how would you start in terms of like creating a, a strong network? What would what would you uh be looking for uh, in terms of uh, would you be looking at governments, indigenous governments, or would you be looking at umbrella organizations like Aman? Or what would you be? What would you be your process?
4: I I think it's uh, it's a matter of being as open minded as possible not focusing so much on what the status is of uh, of the different organizations. Uh, I mean, it can be Indigenous governments uh, to governments cooperation, it can be Indigenous parliaments to other parliaments, it can be, you know, sort of more NGO type umbrella organizations. Uh, Anything. I mean, we we need to. Uh, I mean, we need to build a worldwide web uh, consisting of indigenous peoples coming together at many levels, connecting, yeah, all sorts of types of organizations, uh, networks of, uh, yeah, different statuses.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. I think that really sticks. I think I think um, like we are people that taking on notes. I think that will be a soundbite uh, of you of you like the World Wide Web of Indigenous organizations um, like a strong, really strong network. Thank you so much for that. Um, let, let, let's talk about COVID-19, um, the reality of it. Um, how do you think that it will impact the conduct of indigenous representative institutions?
4: Uh, I think around the world we are, I mean, as uh, Uka just uh, described how they're handling it in, in Indonesia, but I also heard uh, examples also from other continents how uh, indigenous uh, peoples and their representative institutions or organizations are really exercising uh, self-government or even self-determination uh, in responding to the COVID 19. And I think uh, uh, the successful responses, I mean, uh, will empower further uh, Indigenous own institutions. Uh, and it will also um, enhance the visibility of the importance of Indigenous uh, self determination, self governance vis-a-vis states, but other actors also in sort of mainstream uh, society. Uh, What we have to, but what we should also be mindful of is that if we have examples of uh, indigenous uh, communities, societies that have not been uh, successful and where you you see very high death rates, uh, despite of them, you know, having been in charge of uh, taking on their own measures, then it can also uh, very easily be used against them uh, as a way of saying, "Ah, you're trying, you want to conduct your own affairs. How successful were you uh, when you tried to uh, manage the COVID-19 crisis on your own? So so I think, um, so I think, uh, I mean, it can go both ways, but from seeing the many good examples of of how how Indigenous peoples around the world are conducting themselves, I think that Indigenous peoples actually will be, come out much more, uh, I mean, come out much stronger um, following the COVID-19 crisis.
0: Thank you, thank you so much, Tuva. Um, also, um, a little bit of, of, of a sidestep is, like, you're now uh, finalizing your, your term um, your work over in, um, as, 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 over in Brussels. Um, what I'm seeing um, in the movement is that a lot of these people see uh, the, the United Nations as um, they have it on a pedestal, and they uh, pro- almost like neglect the, the, the European Union whereas its reach is, is further than, with, um, than within continental Europe. Um, that's why I'm, I'm fascinated by how Indianese peoples undervalue advocacy at the European Union. Um, what, would you, what would be your pitch, if, if I can call it a pitch, um, and for Indianese peoples to start participating, and in which process would you suggest Indianese peoples to start engaging?
4: I would say it's good that the uh, Indigenous people hold the United Nations in such high regard. Uh, and in fact, the European Union is also, I mean, part of its founding values is also based on, uh, on the charter of the United Nations and is very, very much dedicated to, to the United Nations. But what is important to remember is that the that the European Union is is not only the biggest donor uh, uh, in the world um, when it comes to development cooperation, but also uh, when it comes to support for democracy and human rights. But it's not only in terms of money. It is also a very strong uh, global player when it comes to values i mean the respect for human rights uh, and and democracy and it also have policies on on indigenous peoples and the european union is present uh in in more than 140 uh, countries around the world in delegations uh, by delegations and uh, and even in those countries where it's not present then there is a, I mean, there is also some sort of uh, cooperation. Uh, I think what is important, uh, what is important, is that the indigenous peoples uh, start to pay much more attention to actually engaging uh, at country level with the with the EU delegations around the world. Um, for instance, when it comes to human rights defenders. Um, I mean, indeed, we all know that Indigenous human rights defenders are disproportionately affected by, by killings and violence. And, uh, and in this sense, then, it's very important to actually reach out to the human rights defenders, the Asian officers that there are in each and every EU delegation around the world. But there is also, as part of the bilateral uh, relation between uh, the EU and the, uh, and yeah and the individual countries, partner countries, there is also usually some sort of a dialogue going on every year, and those dialogue dialogues are also uh, accompanied by uh, by dialogues uh, with civil society, and uh, and. You were there yourself, Kasali, when we had a roundtable, um, EU roundtable with Indigenous Peoples experts and representatives back in February here in Brussels. And where we, uh, where we actually realized that um, in those civil society dialogues that the EU uh, organizes in, in its partner countries, Indigenous Peoples organizations or institutions are not really uh, represented. And so here is a job, I mean, real job for indigenous peoples around the world to actually go go meet the EU delegations and and say, hey, we want to be part of that, even though we're not technically a civil society organization, because it can be indigenous governments. But at least it's it's a foot in the door. Uh, but I would also say that, uh, and then of course, I mean, engaging with the with, uh, with European Union staff at delegations also gives more visibility when it comes to, for instance, I mean, the EU delegation manages grants, uh, both under the uh, human rights uh, support grants, but also in relation to environment, uh, civil society, empowerment, etc. And, and by engaging directly with the youth delegations, then staff will also get to know Indigenous peoples better and to understand that. Uh, I mean, this is something that we need to pay more attention to. So that in the end will be beneficial for Indigenous peoples. But I will also say that um, it's also important when, and then I will come back to uh, some of my earlier points. Um, what, of course, will give Indigenous peoples' more legitimacy is uh, that you try to connect uh, as networks, so that you are as united as possible. Also, when you meet uh, European Union uh, delegations, um, yeah, because uh, yeah, uh, there is a lot of uh, competition for for attention. Uh, and uh, and I think uh, indigenous peoples will be more successful if more organisations, uh, networks actually unite, get together when when building up their engagement with the uh, with the EU. Uh,
0: thank you so much, Tuve. Also, um, I think like for some people that know, uh, thank you so much for inviting us uh, for that roundtable. It was very. Very informative uh, both ways um, both for for, for the European side, but also for Indigenous people side knowing like where where is the 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 level of knowledge and the level of engagement and like one like two of the things from Indian side at least um, two of the recommendations that we made if you can call it a recommendation is uh, one of course like a like a permanent, no, not permanent, but, but a, yeah, almost like a permanent form within the European union. Um, so that we have like a direct link with, um, access, um, dialogue within the EU. Um, I think that, that is something that we brought forward as well as, um, yeah, the need for the European union to also communicate more in substance, but not, not, not just as in, um, um, as a style but in substance as well with with the Sami um, like the Sami at this point like not, not at this point They are the only indigenous peoples uh, that are currently situation situated in Europe. Um, so and we, we saw that there was a lack of um, Like yeah, like a substantive strong um, Dialogue between the European Union and, and and the Sami and I think that is also an outcome of the roundtable being so um, open as in like we could uh, interact with one another, ask questions, I think that is something that um, is, I would very much um, encourage um, even though like you you 're finalizing your, your six year term um the European Union uh, to continue doing um now that you 're coming to the end of the six years, anything that stood out for you like could be personally, could be professionally, anything that pops into your mind like all right, that was um that was fun to do or that that's that's when i look back at at my six years um that is something that i really um a memory that i will that will hold um or cherish anything that comes to your mind
4: i, I think um i mean that that's so very many things uh but one thing that uh, that stood out is that the uh, that the that the the knowledge of EU staff, staff across across the board is very very uneven. I mean, there are some who has a tremendous uh, tremendous knowledge about it and understanding on indigenous peoples' rights, uh, and all the way down to concrete country situations. And then there are others who don't really understand. But what I what I what I felt I mean what I experienced is that I mean. In a way, uh, the European institutions are very, very open. Um, uh, so you can actually, as an individual staff, get a lot of influence, um, and that is one thing that I will—I mean—that I will uh, take back. Huh? That uh, I think that uh, I managed to, uh, you know, insert a fingerprint or footprint here and there in various. Policy document, uh, agreements, uh, uh, et cetera. And, and also, the now new coming, uh, the EU is currently uh, preparing its multi annual framework, uh, find, uh, financial framework, and where, of course, also will help with all the colleagues manage to get language in on, on indigenous peoples so that indigenous peoples is actually secured firmly in in major uh, policy and financial instruments uh, of the EU. But it will require a continuous push also from Indigenous people's side and, and also for you to continuously also reach out to to colleagues. I mean there will still be colleagues uh, when I leave who will, who are working on this uh, on, on, on the Indigenous people's files. And, uh, and who feels very much committed to the recommendations, outcomes of this uh, roundtable that we had, including on the suggestion and trying to make a sort of more global event uh, of the, like the roundtable you have to a sort of uh, recurring event. Um, no guarantees, but, uh, but if you keep pushing, I'm sure you will, it will,
0: uh, happen one day um, Thank you. To have a f- final question um, I- I'm, I'm sh- um, it's okay if you haven't thought about it yet. Um, what are your plans as a member of the Perm forum, Any? what is your going to be your and, and I use this word with um, Pancho, the special rapporteur already uh, what is going going to be your special sauce, your special ingredient uh, to the mix?
4: I mean, of course, apart from uh, focusing on those issues where I know that I have fair amount of expertise, human rights, sustainable development issues, then I think one of the things that I, I would like to, uh, to work on is to ensure that the, that the Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues have an impact at country level, at very global level and that we are actually able to to contribute to and uh, inspire the global uh, dialogue among Indigenous peoples themselves as part of building this worldwide web, as I talked about before. Uh, But also to ensure that the Permanent Forum uh, becomes uh, a little bit more dynamic um, uh and become a forum for for exchange uh for exploring new ideas uh for more sort of robust uh, discussions uh i mean as it is now i mean all of you who've been to the permanent forum knows that in a way it 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 has become a grievance mechanism eh? which there is also a need for her huh? but uh, but I think we need to focus on being more operational uh, some, somehow or other and uh, I would like to
0: contribute to that. So thank, thank you. you. so much for your time Tuve. I, I, I know you're packing up over, over there in Brussels um, and time to round everything up so thank you much for, so much for being with us um, and looking forward to meeting you in person yes. at, at, at the permanent forum.
4: Thank you. And thank, thank you. you for inviting me to this
1: webinar. Ciao. Anyway. All right. Thank you very much again, Tofei. And I'm also very look, much looking forward to your term at the Permanent Forum with the 30 years of experience in the EU. And I'm looking forward to this. Maybe we will open a different um, way of communication between governments and between the forum members with the indigenous peoples. And next, uh, our next guest will be Dr. Handan Muhammad. He is a historian and uh, expert in indigenous issues, climate change and biodiversity through decades of advocacy on behalf of the indigenous African region. He is currently uh, the chairperson of IPACC, the Indigenous Peoples of Africa called ordinating committee which was founded in 1997 IPACC is one of the main transnational network organizations recognized as a representative of African indigenous peoples in dialogues with the government and bodies such as the United Nations so again i think this episode of the uh, of this uh, webinar is very valuable because we've been really we will be really learning a lot from the first-hand diplomatic diplomatic challenges, and also how our people are encountering, how our people are handling all these challenges and to find the possibilities and um, the the change we can make from all these challenges. So now again, I'm handing over to Gonzali. Uh,
0: Thank you so much. uh, Sorry, I want, I almost wanted to say the other name, uh, Tuhi, Thank you so much for 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 that introduction. Um, so everyone, like I'm, I'm, I'm sure that um, Mr. Hande Mohammed wanted to want to speak in French. So if you have not done so, please choose your uh, language uh, setting for interpreters into the language of your choosing. Um, before we I get into questions, um, just uh, for two minutes, uh, Hande uh, about yourself introduce yourself uh, so that people can get to can get to know you
5: thank you very much thank you very much mr mr thank you very much for all uh, all participants. Uh, c'est, en, en am... français,
0: c'est c'est bon
5: ah c'est bon okay, ah, c'est bon, okay. C'est bon, c'est bon. OK donc bonjour euh, monsieur Ghazali, bonjour euh, mes amis les participants je suis ravi d'être parmi vous en tant que participant je remercie chaleureusement infiniment mon ami Gazali qui m'a invité à participer euh, dans cette rencontre si importante donc euh, moi je suis Mohamed Handain du Maroc. Je suis historien et expert en matière de changement climatique et la biodiversité et président de l'IPAC, comité de coordination des peuples autochtones d'Afrique. Donc, notre mission en tant que réseau international est la sensibilisation des peuples autochtones pour leurs droits élémentaire pour leurs droits culturels, identitaires et pour les sensibiliser, pour euh, être euh, être heureux, être fiers de leur culture et de leur langue et de leur savoir traditionnel. Vous savez maintenant que les la communauté internationale, les Nations Unies, les, les UNESCO, etc., Donne beaucoup d'importance aux savoirs traditionnels qui sont très importants pour la lutte contre les effets du changement climatique et la protection de la biodiversité. Vous savez également que les.
0: No, I, th- I think the connection has, has been a little bit of challenging. Um, so hopefully um, we'll yeah, I, I think we'll hopefully he can come back in, in a bit uh, when he gets a, a, a good connection. Um, hopefully he doesn't get mad at me for, for doing for, doing, for doing this. Oh, there he is. There he is
5: a problem. There is Ah, vous m'entendez hein Ok. Ok. Donc, euh, euh, vous savez que le, les communautés, les peuples autochtones contrôlent euh, environ 80% de la biodiversité. Et les grandes forêts, comme le, la forêt de l'Amazonie, la, l'Afrique centrale, euh, constituent les poumons de l'humanité, les poumons de, de notre terre et contrôlée par les peuples autochtones. La mission de, notre, de l'IPAC est une mission extrêmement importante. Comme vous le savez, nous avons euh, en Afrique euh, environ les 30% de la, de la population africaine est autochtone. et le, Les savoirs traditionnels les plus anciens euh, sont De, euh, dans, sont dans notre continent africain. Donc, nous travaillons à plusieurs niveaux, nous faisons un travail de proximité, c'est-à-dire on travail avec euh, les peuples autochtones dans les espaces, dans les, leur euh, leur proximité, à, euh, à savoir euh, un travail de terrain. Et donc, nous faisons, nous travaillons au niveau du changement climatique. Nous avons fait plusieurs ateliers concernant la sensibilisation des peuples autochtones en Afrique du Nord, en Afrique du du Sahel, euh, l'Afrique de l'Est et l'Afrique du Sud, l'Afrique centrale. Donc, on essaye euh, de sensibiliser la population autochtone, les peuples autochtones, euh, pour donner plus d'importance à leur savoir traditionnel. Nous travaillons également au niveau international dans ce qu'on appelle la diplomatie des peuples autochtones. Alors, la diplomatie des peuples autochtones est très, très importante. Vous avez vu que euh, la, les activités des représentants des peuples autochtones partout dans le monde est très, très importantes pour, euh, pour évaluer Les, les, les évaluer, comment on dirige les évaluer, les conventions internationales pour introduire les les savoirs traditionnels, pour introduire les droits des peuples autochtones. De Nous avons également au niveau de l'EPAC ce qu'on appelle l'EPAC euh, est une est une est un institut de formation de leadership. Pendant 20 ans que nous travaillons au niveau des peuples autochtones, nous avons construit, nous avons euh, des leaderships qui qui travaillent maintenant au niveau international. Et à savoir, Hindou Maro, que vous vous connaissez très bien, est une membre, est une élève, est une étudiante des peuples de de l'EPAC. Mr. Nigel Grauhal travaille maintenant à l'unisco qui est chef d'un département à l'UNESCO, était directeur de l'EPAC. Euh, Vital. Et nous avons récemment euh, une membre de l'EPAC qui est qui est devenue récemment ministre ministre de l'environnement au niveau là, euh, dans euh, Burundi. Donc, l'EPAC est une est une école de formation de leadership des peuples autochtones. Si vous avez quelques questions, je suis disponible à partager avec vous quelques informations. Merci.
0: Thank you so much for um, explaining the um, organization IPAC, as well as the impact of IPAC um, as a training, um, facility environment for these peoples, especially from Africa. And I thank you so much, uh, for explaining that and also doing that. And you are currently the chairperson of IPAC. Um, what are, in your view, experiences, the biggest lessons you have learned from representing IPAC at the international level?
6: Thank you very much.
0: yeah, if you can, if you can um, answer that question, that would be great. So the, um, the, the, the question was if you, uh, and then if you, um, can, can you hear me at all? Is is that, can you hear me?
5: No, no, no.
0: Oh, all right. So, well, that's going to be difficult. If I want to ask no, a question I, and, um, if I you have cannot a, hear me, um, I
5: have a, perhaps if you I put your interpretation of off, maybe, maybe, maybe
0: that would help.
5: I have a problem with my connection, maybe.
0: But so you cannot hear my my questions. No, you can. Um. Apparently, not. Um. So that's going to be going to be challenging. Um. So for. Can you can can hear my question? If I ask you what the biggest challenge is, a lesson for you as a chair of,
5: IPAC. All right,
0: well, unfortunately, like it now is it, it at least in my uh screen he has frozen. Hopefully we can get, get him back um like at at the at the end. Um so uh, I'm I'm I apologize, Handan. Maybe you and in a couple of minutes you have a better connection um so that we can continue this conversation. I, I apologize for this uh to you, Handan, and also everyone else watching. Um so maybe um uh, Two uh, Maybe we can um, move on to um, who's whoever is next on on your list uh, to um, for, for for this for this episode.
1: Sure. Well, but ho- I hope that we can get him back very soon. And next, I would like to uh, introduce Miss. Um, I'm sorry again if I pronounce pronounce it wrong. Miss <laughs> Hortensia uh, Hidako. So she is Aymara and, uh, and she's very active for Indigenous Women's Network on bio- biodiversity in Latin America and the Caribbean. And uh, also, she is also working from, uh, working for the Chasquin-Yarampi Indigenous Communication and Research Center. So again, Gonzali and Hortensia. Uh,
0: and um Hortensia, thank you so much. Uh, we had a little of challenges last um, last session. Um, but very glad to have you with us um, in in this uh, episode. Um, if you can talk me about uh, talk, sorry, talk to me uh, or us about uh, what are the major themes on your mind have developed the further of the last 100 days during the pandemic. In terms of, yeah, indigenous governance and diplomacy, yeah.
7: Buenos dias a todas y todos. Eh, un saludo cordial desde el norte de Chile, desde territorio Imara. aquí vivimos en frontera con Perú y Bolivia. Contarles que, situarlos un poco geográficamente, eh, en la región de Latinoamérica estamos en plena pandemia. ¿no? Es lo que llamamos la fase 4. Aquí en, en nuestra región de América Latina estamos en, en una crisis sanitaria hoy día respecto a lo que pasa con la pandemia del covid Lamentablemente estamos perdiendo muchas vidas de pueblos indígenas, algunos países más que otros, por ejemplo Brasil, Ecuador, Bolivia, hay situaciones bastante graves eh, de los nueve países también que divide la Amazonía, hay algunos que están eh, gravemente afectados, eh, nuevamente Brasil, y también tiene que ver con un tema de cómo estamos perdiendo la democracia en Latinoamérica y un retroceso en las democracias con algunos gobiernos fundamentalistas que, que están hoy día en el poder. En estos últimos 100 días en, en el tema del COVID, bueno, aquí por ejemplo hoy día nosotras estamos en, en cuarentena obligatoria, estamos en toque de queda, que significa que los militares se hacen cargo de las noches del territorio, eh, y estamos confinados en nuestras viviendas. Y desde los pueblos indígenas, cuáles han sido un poco las medidas que se han tomado. Primero es exigir a los gobiernos de turno tener eh, una información específica respecto a cómo está afectando a los pueblos indígenas. Lamentablemente en América Latina son muy pocos los países que están eh, especificando datos, datos referentes a pueblos indígenas. Primero, hay mucha información que es falsa, que no es la la verdadera, porque hay informaciones que hay más afectados, enfermos y muertos en en muchos países, y que no cuentan. Ah, eh, Cada semana tenemos un informe epidemiológico que otorga eh, el gobierno. Sin embargo, en esos informes epidemiológicos no hace referencia a pueblos indígenas. No hay... eh, Nada respecto a pueblos indígenas, entonces, es una construcción diaria que estamos haciendo de recabar la información, de recabar los datos, para poder tener eh, una información más acabada. Y desde los pueblos indígenas hay diferentes iniciativas, eh, bueno, bajo la libre determinación, en virtud de este derecho también que nos otorga algunos instrumentos internacionales como la Declaración de Naciones Unidas sobre Derecho de los Pueblos Indígenas o el Convenio 169 de la OIT. Algunos pueblos indígenas han tomado estas medidas bajo la libre determinación y en virtud de esa determinación han cerrado sus comunidades, han cerrado o bloqueado sus comunidades para no dejar entrar que esas personas que vengan de las ciudades a los territorios en área rural. En un principio, en los primeros meses, los afectados indígenas solamente eran del área urbana. La falta de medidas o protocolos sanitarios desde el área de salud, desde los distintos gobiernos, eh, han sido tan malas que lamentablemente hoy el área rural donde están las comunidades indígenas están siendo afectadas y lamentablemente tenemos bastantes fallecidos hermanos indígenas y hermanas indígenas que han muerto por la pandemia, producto de la pandemia. Y esta es responsabilidad de los gobiernos de turno, que no han tomado las medidas. Por otro lado, bajo esta libre determinación, algunos pueblos, como te comentaba, han tomado las medidas necesarias en, en esto de cerrar o hacer cerco sanitario, de controlar la entrada y la salida de las comunidades. también eh, algo que se está utilizando bastante es lo que es la medicina indígena y, y es cre- es la gran alternativa hoy día. Cuando aún no tenemos una respuesta a una vacuna o a un medicamento que pueda ayudar, a eh, aliviar un poco esta pandemia, eh, tenemos la medicina indígena y bajo estos conocimientos tradicionales, los conocimientos indígenas, es que muchos hermanos y hermanas a nivel de, del territorio, de, eh, a nivel de país, están trabajando la medicina indígena y también eh, la alimentación, la alimentación sana y desde los pueblos indígenas, que un poco viene a fortalecer el sistema inmunológico de las personas para que no afecte tanto. Hoy día, como te decía, estamos en la fase 4 de esta epidemia, donde el virus está en todos los lugares, Donde cualquiera de nosotros ya hemos visto familiares, amistades, enfermos o morirse del de COVID. En Latinoamérica estamos en una fase terrible. Entonces, eh, la medicina indígena está siendo una alternativa y los no, los no indígenas hoy día están valorando más estos conocimientos tradicionales de los pueblos indígenas para poder eh, fortalecer un poco el sistema inmunológico y poder. Eh, estar un poco más tranquilo. Entonces, nuestros médicos indígenas, médicos tradicionales, en Aymara se le llama Koyiri, que es la persona que sana, están hoy día jugando un rol fundamental para poder eh, ayudar en esta pandemia. Bueno, y por otro lado, también es que seguimos eh, demandando al gobierno Que pueda eh, realmente tomar las medidas necesarias, porque no las ha tomado. O sea, tenemos cero iniciativa respecto al gobierno en cuanto a tener una especificidad hacia los pueblos indígenas o a tener una política adecuada en términos sanitarios para los pueblos indígenas. No hay nada. Y también, por otro lado, en esta pandemia, viene a reflejar la situación real que viven los pueblos indígenas que es la falta de servicios básicos, porque se nos llama como medida de lavarse las manos, por ejemplo, y algunas comunidades indígenas no tienen agua, ¿no? Eh, si bien es cierto, las personas hemos paralizado un poco nuestras vidas, pero no así el extractivismo. El extractivismo, las empresas siguen saqueando territorios indígenas a nivel nacional. Y hoy día también se habla de la reactivación económica, que cuando pase esto, en algunos meses más, eh, seguramente se va a reactivar la economía. Y ahí es la gran preocupación también. Esa reactivación económica, ¿cómo va a afectar a los pueblos indígenas cuando se realiza en territorios indígenas? Entonces ahí es como la gran preocupación también en esto en esta llamada reactivación económica, entre comillas, que nos puede afectar a los pueblos indígenas. Y bueno, y las mujeres indígenas también han jugado un rol fundamental en lo que son los saberes y los conocimientos, no en compartir estos saberes y conocimientos indígenas. Desde la Red de Mujeres Indígenas sobre Biodiversidad de América Latina y el Caribe, hemos realizado una serie de conversatorios virtuales, de webinar principalmente viendo el tema de la espiritualidad y la medicina indígena para combatir la pandemia. La espiritualidad eh, de los pueblos indígenas es sumamente importante que no puede ir separada eh, del conocimiento indígena y de la enfermedad. Entonces estamos un poco en esa discusión, en esa valorización también, eh, porque hay mucho miedo, hay mucho miedo a la muerte, mucho miedo a enfermarse, eh, mucha tristeza por las personas que han partido, que a las muertes que han ocurrido por el COVID. Entonces desde la espiritualidad también cómo poder sanar eso, cómo poder fortalecerse en estas pérdidas. Hay familias que han perdido, eh, personas que han perdido la familia completa. Entonces cómo desde la espiritualidad poder sanarse, poder eh, desde las ceremonias indígenas fortalecer también esta grave situación que estamos viviendo en los pueblos indígenas, principalmente aquí en Latinoamérica. Eh, y eso es lo que estamos haciendo. Eh, y también eh, poniendo en práctica estos saber, estos conocimientos.
0: Um, thank you so much for for, for, uh, for explaining all that. Um, first question that comes into my mind after this is how can because I'm all about providing value. Um, How can we as indigenous people's movement at the international level or the United Nations help you in what you're you're trying to achieve? Uh, Like you talk about um, indigenous medicine, you talked about self-governance, what comes to your mind um, how we can help you or the United Nations should help you?
7: Yo creo que una de las primeras actuaciones que debía hacer eh, Naciones Unidas, yo sé que no tiene un mandato específico para presionar a los gobiernos de turno, pero es necesario que los gobiernos eh, cumplan ciertos instrumentos internacionales. En el caso de Chile, no tenemos un reconocimiento constitucional como pueblos indígenas. Hay muchas materias. con pueblos indígenas, y existen muchas recomendaciones, el Foro Permanente de Naciones Unidas tiene muchísimas recomendaciones, pero a veces las recomendaciones desde Naciones Unidas, las recomendaciones de relatores especiales de Naciones Unidas, quedan como cartas de amor, como le llamamos, ¿no? Que quedan en el aire, sin embargo no hay cumplimiento. Yo creo que existe lo que debería haber... Eh, algo, no sé, reglamentos, estatutos que realmente se cumplan para ser efectivos. Y para tomar cualquier medida política que requiera eh, o que afecta a los pueblos indígenas, lo importante es que haya, que exista participación plena y efectiva de los pueblos indígenas. Yo creo que eso es lo más importante que debe haber, porque a veces hay ciertas materias que se consultan y se realiza las pseudo consultas, pero esas consultas no están bajo lo que es el derecho internacional del consentimiento previo, libre e informado. No son consultas rápidas, son consultas que solamente eh, uno firma y eso es como ya, esto está consultado, por lo tanto, vamos a hacer tal tipo de política. Entonces, Es importante el cumplimiento, es sumamente importante del consentimiento libre, previo e informado, pero también es un poco que los gobiernos de turno entiendan qué es la libre determinación. ¿Qué es la libre determinación para los pueblos indígenas? Nosotros hasta el momento tenemos aún aquí en Chile una constitución que es heredada de la dictadura es una constitución de la dictadura, y estamos en un proceso para una constituyente, para cambiar esta constitución. La pandemia ha postergado el proceso, sin embargo, eh, ya en octubre eh, debiera, o sea, ya estamos comenzando este proceso, pese a la pandemia, estamos comenzando este proceso constituyente para ir a una votación, si queremos, o un plebiscito para cambiar esta constitución. Entonces, eso esperamos, tener esa participación para poder cambiar esta constitución y en esa constitución poner algunos artículos realmente que tengan que ver con los derechos de los pueblos indígenas y la participación política de los pueblos indígenas también, que es lo que hoy día estamos discutiendo los escaños políticos para los pueblos indígenas en la participación política. Entonces, esas cómo son... Para mí son fundamentales la participación plena y efectiva, el tema del consentimiento libre, previo e informado y poder entender y entender que algunos pueblos, por ejemplo, como pueblo mapuche, está tratando de aplicar la libre determinación, para eso hay han hecho escuelas de la libre determinación para poder entender. Pero ciertamente el gobierno no entiende qué es la libre determinación de los pueblos indígenas Eh, Bueno, acá está sesgado, ¿no?, por una política de la dictadura que hasta el momento de hoy persiste, entonces es como un poco el rechazo hacia eso, pero en ese camino vamos, ¿no?, a una participación política y y lo que esperamos es una participación plena y efectiva, incluyendo, por supuesto, a las mujeres indígenas que eh, hemos luchado tantos años por por poder eh, un poco hacer escuchar estas voces, Y hoy día, con esta pandemia, eh, justamente se está haciendo así. Las mujeres indígenas, los Tata, que le llamamos que son los más ancianos hoy día, eh, son muy valorados por la sociedad en general, por sus conocimientos hoy día, y, y están entregándonos todo lo que son las medicinas.
0: So thank you so much, Hortensia, for, for, for um, also like talking a, a lot more about the constitutional reform, that that, that process. Uh, I think that is very important. It is, and I see it, not not, not just myself, but like in these people's all around the world, we see it emerging. Um, Australia is, is happening right now. At least that's what um, Professor Megan Davis in episode one was talking about, that constitutional reform is, is very necessary. And she also put it, Very upfront that the right to self-determination is key and not just and I think this is something that 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 a lot of people need to understand it is about the right to self-determination from the indigenous uh, uh, Point of view and not just a Western quote-unquote Definition of uh, right to self-determination and I think that is something that um for example, the declaration on rights in peoples can can very much um, um, be in favor for for, for, for the that process that, that you're working on. Um, I ha- well, I I see Tui, so um so, like she, she's waving at me so like, she, that she has a couple of questions. Um, so I would like to now give the floor back to um Tui to ask you some questions.
1: Thank you, Gansali, and thank you, Potentia. You mentioned about constitutional reform, and actually we are also trying to do that in Taiwan. And one of the the most important uh, agenda that we are trying to do is, of course, to have indigenous rights. Uh, over, well, in Taiwan, the, the constitution recognizes indigenous people's rights, but we want to push it further for having uh, our right to realize not only uh, on the dimension of culture or economic side, but more of the political side. So, so I would like to ask Hotensha uh, about this is that, you know, you, we talk about uh, sovereignty, we talk about self-determination, and uh, I realized that actually, I don't know if it's also uh, to your experience, people are a bit afraid of talking about sovereignty. And it's also among indigenous peoples ourselves. I mean, like in Taiwan, people, when we talk about sovereignty, people are like, what are you trying to create, to build your own country or what? Why you are talking about sovereignty? It's it's, uh, dangerous to talk about sovereignty, but I would say we have to talk about it. And also I would like to ask Hortensia, what's your thought? On the best way to really scale indigenous sovereignty and self-determining determination from individual to community.
7: Bueno, creo que primero es importante entenderlo, y todavía no en este país o en Chile falta mucho por eh, poner en práctica, no, la autodeterminación falta aún más escuela donde eh, organizarnos mejor para que nuestros hermanos y hermanas puedan entender el derecho internacional. Porque cuando en este país, o como en muchos, no hay derechos de pueblos indígenas en las leyes nacionales, ¿qué debemos hacer? Acudir a los instrumentos internacionales. Entonces primero es fundamental conocer estos instrumentos internacionales mucho más, Y y luego es también entender el rol que tenemos como como personas en hacer política. Eh, Los pueblos indígenas, la ciudadanía, le temen hacer política, eh, porque claro, como te digo, venimos de una dictadura que duró muchísimos años, donde no se podía hacer política, entonces es el miedo constante a hacer política, y lo que sí tenemos que hacer es esto, hacer política, poner temas en la mesa, eh, un poco, eh, y en nuestro caso, poner eh, los temas que tienen que ver con los pueblos indígenas, con el territorio, y aquí es fundamental eh, la inclusión de todos y todas, ¿no? Desde la niñez, desde los jóvenes, desde, desde las mujeres, desde los más adultos, entonces... El tema es intergeneracional, tiene que estar esta caída para todos. Y en este proceso que hoy día se viene, eh, esperamos poder participar y poner, como tú dices, muchas veces se habla desde el territorio y la, la cultura. Aquí han habido muchas propuestas de reconocimiento constitucional de los pueblos indígenas, pero solo se han basado en propuestas que tienen que ver con lo cultural porque lo floclorizan, porque ven los pueblos indígenas solamente desde la cultura, el que baila, el que teje, pero los pueblos indígenas somos más que eso, y se niegan al tema del territorio, ¿no? Y esto va a ocurrir en muchos lugares, porque en el territorio es donde están los recursos naturales, los recursos naturales que sustentan la economía de un país. Entonces, por eso es tan difícil muchas veces Hablar del tema territorial y de la autodeterminación. Porque se privilegia la economía del país. Y en esto está pasando también con el tema del COVID. Aquí se ha privilegiado la economía del país versus la salud de las personas. Porque las industrias extractivistas, las empresas, siguen trabajando y el pequeño agricultor o el pequeño vendedor, el comerciante, eso es el que está paralizado y bien sus labores. Entonces, lamentablemente esa es la situación de privilegiar la economía, Chile se ve como para afuera como el país como el jaguar de Latinoamérica, ¿no? Que está en un per cápita muy alto en su economía, o en una economía que está muy estable. Sin embargo, los pueblos indígenas que hemos sido ricos en territorios y en recursos, nos han empobrecido. Y en esa, prohi- en esa pobreza hoy día se desnuda una realidad. Que ni siquiera hay servicios básicos para combatir hoy día el COVID. Que no tenemos centros de salud en muchas comunidades o muchos territorios indígenas para sobrevivir a este COVID. Entonces, En esa tardanza de trasladar a las personas de un área urbana, o sea, de un área rural a un área urbana, o a lugares donde no hay centros de salud, las personas mueren, se contagian más. Entonces, esa es la situación que tenemos. Pero yo tengo mucho, mucha fe. Eh, los pueblos indígenas hemos sido resilientes a medida de las etapas. Y la historia, los pueblos indígenas hemos pasado por muchas adversidades y esta no es la primera pandemia que atravesamos, son muchas las que hemos pasado, quizás esta es más fuerte y comunicacionalmente eh, se ve más hoy día, ¿no? que hoy día tenemos otros tipos de comunicación que llegan a más personas, pero hemos sido resilientes a sobrevivir estas pandemias, y yo creo que así lo vamos a hacer, y a través de los conocimientos indígenas también eh, una gran alternativa para sobrevivir a esta pandemia, y es por eso que valoramos tanto esta situación de nuestros conocimientos. Hoy día nos vemos afectados terriblemente, o sea, no vemos a nuestros familiares por mucho tiempo, eh, no nos podemos abrazar, no nos podemos dar muestras de cariño, eh, y es como una cultura nueva, una cultura... Que tuvimos que aprender rápidamente, uno que está acostumbrado a verse y a abrazarse, y, y así como esto, ya no, es como una nueva cultura. Y quizás cuando pase esto, no sé si vamos a volver a abrazarnos así rápidamente o nos va a costar, eh, pero así hoy día estamos. Hay fechas importantes de ceremonias, de, de fiestas en nuestras comunidades que la hemos postergado por esta situación. Yo vivo aquí en un lugar que fronterizo con Perú y Bolivia. Tenemos familia en diferentes partes, muchos de los que vivimos aquí en el norte de Chile, porque el pueblo Imara está dividido en fronteras y en países, pero es un solo territorio. Y en mi caso yo llevo meses sin ver a mi papá, que está al otro lado de la frontera. Y así en muchos casos que, eh, por no poder entrar a comunidades, a lugares, es que no vemos a nuestros familiares y estamos muy preocupados que este que esta pandemia les vaya a afectar, pero sin duda eh, lo que tenemos que ver es que los estados puedan comprender libremente. Aquí en Chile, fíjate que hace algunos años atrás no se podía hablar de la palabra pueblo, entonces no se comprendía pueblos indígenas si no nos llamaban etnias, porque era muy subversivo entender el concepto pueblos, Se logró masificar y hoy día se entienden pueblos indígenas y la palabra pueblo. Hoy día lo que le temen es a la palabra, a la autodeterminación, la libre determinación, pero en eso estamos, educando a la ciudadanía, educando a los políticos y a los gobiernos de turno que tienen que comprender qué es la autodeterminación y que en virtud a esa autodeterminación es que libremente podemos elegir nuestra forma de vivir, ¿no? nuestra economía, nuestra actividad social, cultural y política. Entonces, en eso estamos y en eso estamos avanzando en este proceso constituyente que, que esperamos que, que realmente ocurra, porque se ha venido postergando por el tema de la pandemia, como en otros países también que han tenido que postergar, eh, Bolivia la tenemos al lado, no llevan a un proceso eleccionario supuestamente por la pandemia, y tenemos muy, con otros países eh, vecinos que están pasando las mismas situaciones. En Latinoamérica es un poco esa, eh, la situación, ¿no? Es lo que yo les comentaba al comienzo, de un poco que las democracias hoy día están en peligro. Las democracias con estos gobiernos eh, fundamentalistas, un poco de derecha, y que son demasiados extractivistas, como lo que está ocurriendo en Brasil, por ejemplo, que es una situación terrible. Eh, que la, la cantidad de muertos diarios es muy grande. Entonces, en esa es la situación la que estamos viviendo hoy día. Y confiados en que la vamos a superar. Esa es como la gran aspiración de, de que esto pase rápido. Yo sé que nos quedan todavía meses por pasar este confinamiento, pero... Estamos en eso, ¿no? Tratando de sobrevivir y tratando también de que las mujeres tengan una participación y en un poco pedirle a los gobiernos y obligar a los gobiernos a que realmente tengamos datos específicos de pueblos indígenas y que no nos mientan en los datos que cada día salen en los informes eh, públicos.
1: Ok, thank you. Well, due to the time limit, I think I will ask the final question. But actually, I think Patricia already um, kind of gave us a a, a picture of how it should be to really, in this kind of situation, how can we really uh, respond respond to the crisis? But also, there are a lot of details that the government is not really paying attention to, especially regarding to Indigenous peoples. So let's be creative that, um, if one day we can create uh, an indigenous government uh, with our, of course, all these criteriums that we we already fulfill and we have our own government, what would be the very first thing you would really like to do if you just, you know, just, um, what's the first thing come to your mind? Yo
7: creo que, o sea, Sería un sueño hermoso, ¿no?, tener un gobierno indígena eh, y basarnos en esta libre determinación. Yo creo que lo, lo primero que sería es cuidar el territorio, cuidar el territorio del extractivismo, de las forestales, de todas esas empresas que cada día acaban con nuestros territorios. Eso es como lo primero, ¿no? Es como... Eh, fuera las empresas de los territorios indígenas que nos están matando el agua, que nos dejan cada día sin agua, por ejemplo en el norte la minería y el extractivismo. Entonces, si yo tuviera, si estuviera parte de este un, un gobierno indígena sería eso, ¿no? Y canalizar la economía a base de los principios y la identidad indígena, ¿no? Volver a una economía a base de lo propio, porque hay arte Eh, es bastante eh, la diversidad eh, que tenemos en flor y fauna. Tenemos alimentos que, que son importantísimos, como la quinoa, que son, que son alimentos muy nutritivos, que podríamos compartir con la sociedad. Tenemos territorios con densidades territoriales inmensas, con recursos naturales inmensos que le pertenecen a los pueblos indígenas. Y digo, no somos pobres, nos han empobrecido. Tenemos unas riquezas naturales muy grandes que en un manejo sustentable, en un manejo equilibrado con la madre tierra, podrían ser eh, eh, gran parte de mantener un gobierno indígena. Entonces yo creo que esa es la, la primera cuestión que realizaría, ¿no? Fuera del extractivismo y mantener un equilibrio con la madre tierra eh, sería lo fundamental.
1: Thank you, thank you very much. And I really like the the, the, the way you put it, that actually we're not poor, it's... The others they make us poor, and that's something also responding to what Luca was saying that we are providing to the world. It's just the world doesn't really recognize that. Thank you again, Hortensia, um, and uh, maybe maybe you can stay for a little longer, and then maybe we'll come back to you later during our discussion. And uh, now I would like to welcome our next speaker, and. He is from the, he's from Sami. He is, let's welcome Rune. And he is a Sami, grew up in the Sami community. He engaged in Arctic and indigenous people's issues already as a student. And in most of his professional career, he has been involved in policy planning and development as part of the Sámi Parliament staff, as an, also as an independent consultant in Jaruma AS, as head of the Arctic and Environmental Unit in the Sámi Council, as Executive Secretary of the Arctic Council Indigenous People's Secretariat. And now he is back at the Sámi Parliament as Director General. And all of these positions have given him a thought, uh, a thorough understanding of indigenous issues from different perspectives. So, Again, let's go back to Gonzale and we will have Rune with us.
0: Um, Boris, uh, Rune, I'm glad to have you with us. And by the way, Jocelyn, you, you can run this whole show, by the way. Like, you, you did it amazing um, just now with the segment with Hortensia. Um, sorry, sidetracking. Um, going back to Rune. Um, Buddhist, um, how are you doing and how are you handling um, COVID-19?
6: Boris, frankly, uh, Thank you all for inviting me to this webinar. I think it's an interesting concept that due to COVID-19 might be developed uh, into a channel of communication and discussions also when we cannot meet as we usually do. Uh, You ask about how the uh, Sámi communities are coping with COVID-19. I think that that is not a uh, a, a straight, easy answer to, to to that I can give you because we are separated in four different countries, and and um, although we have self-governing structures, we we do not have uh, we or we don't even uh, aim to to provide the kind of basic health services and the, by the kind of base, basic basic. Uh, uh, health health assistance that that uh, would be necessary to to manage the covid-19 uh, pandemic so we have all in our respective countries been trying to not to to follow and join in on the common uh, uh, policies that has been invoked in the different countries uh, just to not and and just in that sense, made sure that there is information also in Sami language, so that it comes out to everybody that is equal in that sense. But otherwise, on measures and 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 uh, uh, we we haven't really had very strong uh, issues there. That is until we. <laughs> A lockdown uh, extended into to, to several months and uh, the differences between the countries began to, to create problems because we have rivers dividing our, our nation in, 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 in some parts of the, the, the Sami area where you, you have always had uh, uh, common economy a common uh, uh, interaction across borders and that was basically stopped uh, uh, during uh, the covid-19 pandemic so that uh, and when you the spread of the virus was mainly down south in the, the populated areas and we had almost the same spread situation up north we we couldn't see uh, the rationale behind that we couldn 't meet our brothers and sisters on the other side of the border uh, whereas we could go to the capital uh, capital uh, where the, the the spread was uh, much uh, heavier and and much more difficult so so that uh, the the borders in our areas then became an obstacle that that uh, uh, every now and then has has been through history, uh, challenging to us. Uh, so, so, so. But now, at least, Norway and Finland is open, and uh, but uh, Sweden is uh, another issue. There is still widespread, also up north there. So we we are careful, uh, and um, we are a traveling people. Uh, the um, we don't have the saying "home sweet home." We have the saying. Uh, to be on the move is better than to stay still and that of course is not very popular these days
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think wherever your level is that that's where your home is. Uh, I, I would it I would is. imagine sure. um, <laughs> um, Thank you so much uh, Arun. Um l- Let me talk to you a little bit about your experiences at the international level. I think that's great mm-hmm. um, I, I think I want to highlight a couple of them. We started mm-hmm. working together um, In the ALTA process leading up to the World Conference. Mm -hmm. Um, I keep reiterating that the ALTA outcome document Mm -hmm. is an indigenous plan of action of itself and -hmm. it goes beyond the World Conference. Mm -hmm. Um, What stood out for you from that process or any thoughts on the ALTA outcome document?
6: Well just first of all a couple of uh, I've heard some of the discussion here and um, And first of all, a couple of words about the the initial idea of the ALTA conference. Uh, Because um, as we all remember, that was an initiative. The World Conference on Indigenous Peoples was an initiative that the the states came up with in 2010, in December. That was um, basically an initiative to hold the World Conference in 2014 uh, uh, that... It, and that wasn't really known in the indigenous community, why they would hold such a conference uh, and what was the ambition of the states that initiated it and why why the General Assembly even decided it. So uh, we were a group of uh, indigenous, uh, 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 let me say, uh, diplomats that, that uh, started to talk. Uh, especially i would uh, highlight uh, uh, our uh, asian colleagues and, and some of our uh, 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 also the inuits and uh, and others that uh, where we actually uh, had to to come together and decide how do we handle the fact that they are actually going to hold a, a big world conference without our involvement Uh, uh, so we had two alternatives either we just say that this is your process we want to participate or or we could go all in and try to take over parts of 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 that initiative and make it as a common bigger indigenous push because uh, some of our concern at that point was that some states would use this world conference to to backtrack uh, some of the achievements and pull back some of the achievements we had with the declaration and 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 and, uh, and other areas where, where we had uh, made progress so that's part of the backdrop here uh, we made a concept paper it was made by leif dunfield and john Hendrickson, uh, uh uh, than in December, January 2011. And and we circulated that concept paper among a couple of uh, Indigenous um, organizations. And then we uh, said, uh, uh, the Sámi Parliament of Norway decided that this is a good initiative, that we gather, we, we start a process where we actually go region-wise, and and try to gather for a big PrEP conference in Alta the year ahead of the the World Conference, so that we could really make a common push towards the United Nations General Assembly. Uh, uh, The Sámi Parliament in Norway took then an initial uh, uh, initiative to the Norwegian government, uh, just to say that, hey, would this be something that you want to collaborate with us on? We never asked for permission to hold that conference. We asked for collaboration, and that's <coughs> in this whole self-determination and 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 self-governing. Uh, we we have it. We have to remember that we we should think about the re, the, the the way we use, phrase ourselves in the dialogue with the states. Are we giving ourselves? ourselves the status that we want. So we present it as a collaboration, not would, could you support us or could we be allowed to hold such a conference? That question surprised, uh, of course, the government of Norway and they said it was a terrible idea. It was a bad idea. That was their initial response. We didn't ask twice. We said, well, we asked just if you wanted to 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 collaborate with us. Uh, That was not a question of permission. So it came to their surprise that we went forward with with the idea and actually went to New York and invited the world to Alta in 2013, a two year heads up for, for the Alta conference. And we were attacked afterwards, but we had then decided that we won't ask for a dime from the government. We would have to be prepared to try to raise, use two years to try to raise the money and and show that the indigenous peoples are able to actually do things on their own. They don't need the yes or no from the governments and so forth. So uh, uh, that meant that we uh, went on a a very sort of um, challenging path, but but the thing was that during that, when we came with that invitation, the whole of the world responded constructively, especially the indigenous uh, uh, global community responded very constructively to that initiative. And we said that we will invite you there. We will only facilitate the the, the actual framework, uh, the, the indigenous government, the governing structures around the world and the the indigenous diplomacy has to come together and find a way to coordinate uh, this work. And as we all know, uh, uh, indigenous peoples are no other than other people we don't agree on a lot, but we do agree on some things and we were able to actually to, to, to establish a process leading up to this conference that was really as uh, bottom-up as possible because uh, it was done region-wise and it was done uh, respectfully nobody interfered with the other regions way to organize themselves it was left over to each and every one and we worked together we didn't establish any steering committee we had this facilitating group that was uh, more like uh, keeping it all together where everyone was involved so 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 that worked out well i remember us sitting with with um, uh, with representatives in new york and just sketching this process out on a uh, on a small piece of paper and and it actually in hindsight work just as we planned uh, during a lunch break in in in, uh, in, uh, new york so sometimes it works when we all come together uh, and and we all just see the need to actually uh, 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 make a push Uh, and uh, fast forward i do agree that and i think many agree that we we managed uh, to to run a process that got to take its time and and where we really i mean the different regions had all these different positions coming into the common negotiations on the outcome document in alta but 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 hard negotiating work in Alta uh, made uh, and good preparations from all regions and I thank them all for for participating and and contributing made a very strong document as you say go way beyond the General Assembly World Conference uh, outcome document but uh, yeah I, I, I think I think there are many things coming together there that shows the strength uh, 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 and uh, potential that we can all utilize if if we if we just focus and 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 do it and and I, I'm especially proud of the fact that we 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 there was no government behind anything there was no state behind any of this process other than. Uh, chipping in at some point but but on our terms so so that's uh, what i think we all can can be proud of uh, and the, the the teams that were set up in new york that was there for months and, and months and negotiated and negotiated i mean everything just worked so so um, so but it's it, it was a big effort and i think everybody sort of uh, had uh, wanted it to to materialize into some more firm structures that could live on in a better way than it has but i mean uh, things change uh, so i don't know what is the
0: no, i think um a little bit more context cause thank you again um Rune for laying that all out because not a lot of people know that like the the behind the scenes work mm-hmm. um for a lot of people that are, are watching or watching afterwards over 500 indigenous people from all over the world came to alta it was mm. such a representative meeting
5: mm-hmm.
0: um like regionally balanced um indians women elders youth uh, they were all represented um so it is high level of legitimacy um the, the meeting itself and the document that came out of alta the ALTA outcome document. Also, and this is more of a subjective thing, um, it is not, um, well, no, no, I'm so, sorry, uh, I'm sorry to say it differently. It is to a lot of Indigenous peoples, the World Conference. Mm-hmm. Like the World Conference yes. was held by the United Nations, um, but for a lot of Indian peoples, the meeting at ALTA was actually the World Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just, just a little bit of context um, to give more meat. Uh, more mm-hmm. taste to um, the the um, yeah the behind the scenes story that, that Rune just now just now shared because I think that a lot of people need need to know that um, Rune one of the outcomes of the World Conference was of course like the enhanced participation process. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people do not know that mm-hmm. um, like um, we had the World Conference outcome document and then we had to lobby again. Um, for this and enhanced, enhanced participation process, a lot of people do not know that you were only one of the few one of the few that would have to let like, bend over backwards in new york to to mm-hmm. make an effort lobbying um, um yeah in that was in two thousand and seventeen mm-hmm. did how like that that whole experience of two thousand and seventeen mm-hmm. um, what overarching sense did I give to you about how these peoples are or are not? Uh, engaging in diplomacy
6: well i i, I think um, that whole process i mean it it highlighted also some of the differences that are between the regions on on how we we, we look at uh, at various things i mean uh, 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 some regions have 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 more institutionalized structures and some uh, uh, have not and and there's there's hard there's always hard to 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 give a strict definition on on on, on how such enhanced participation could be, be be managed just just say that i recognize that there are, are, are different uh, uh, points of departure here within the indigenous community so 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 uh, uh, what i think is um uh is um, also uh, uh I, I i think there are many elements here uh, there was at that point uh, also on the state side uh, a, a sense of, uh, of fatigue uh, uh well we we have just had just finished uh, first it was the declaration and the achievements there then it was the world conference and the whole that took many years and then we were into a new negotiations that that in new Negotiations that that was um, challenging to all parties, and and I, I, I sensed especially a fatigue from also the indigenous side. I mean, uh, we we don't have the, the 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 personal power. We don't have the economical power. Negotiations are set up in in uh, New York, uh, extremely expensive to even go there. Uh, i mean we uh, met six times uh, i travel six to every month uh, for for half a year for three four days and and people can't not all everyone can uh, support such negotiations and and um, and in order to to do that you have to have a very strong and broad Sense in the community that this is something that that uh, that should be prioritized, and I understand that most of in, most indigenous peoples, even we uh, on the Sami side, have more than enough to do at home than to 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 really really push uh, for 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 that part. What disappointed me maybe most was that we were dealing with the UN, and, and the UN has very strict. Uh, is the man is the the uh, the keeper of human rights and of international standards on on indigenous peoples, and that the system itself was incapable of uh, understanding that 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 the system should be able to adopt rules that really levels the participation with the rights that we do have as self determining peoples. Uh, that is maybe my biggest disappointment that we couldn 't have this discussion that come on uh, every single country in the world has more has signed off on the i signed on the, the the United Nations declarations on indigenous peoples and uh, uh, free private and informed consent with whom uh, uh, how how do we make sure that we actually talk to the people that we are supposed to protect with these regulations, and 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 enhancing that and making the UN as uh, the peoples of the world's body—that uh, uh, is the challenge. And and that we couldn't get further in that discussion is is uh, is most disappointing. Because yes, it's a return ever-returning challenge that are you looking for secession no that's why we are here there is a system in the UN to handle secession there is a system to establish new states history has shown since uh, i mean the last 150 years how many states haven't been created during that period uh, with special procedures and recognition from the international community Uh, so uh, it's bullshit to say that there is no uh, that that's not a black and white issue in that sense uh, the system for establishing a new state is there so so we are not advocating for that we are advocating for a system that could protect peoples that don't want to establish separate states <laughs> and 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 that dialogue i feel is what we are not getting through to 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 the United Nations, we are there begging on our knees, to, sort of, to be protected from states, not to be one, <laughs> uh, and <that's laughs> and to be confronted that we are advocating for breaking things up. No, we are just advocating for our own protection as peoples in for the future and that is and if governments around the world keep holding that kind of rhetorics high and 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 pushing that uh, uh, way of thinking i i I think we're on the wrong track that's that's more conflict inducing than 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 uh, necessary uh, because we are there to to actually find protection and comfort.
0: Thank you, so Thank you, room for 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 laying that out. Uh, one thing that I know that you are a, a very have a very strong opinion about, and I'd like to pick your brain about, is about mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, I see um, just just the way that I see it. I see my instructions for Indian diplomacy as a mm-hmm. as a dance. Uh, mm-hmm. Between developments at the international stage and the mandate from the representative institution, sure. um, I see it one informs the other. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you stand on that like in terms of like firmness of a mandate uh,
6: uh, I think that uh, everyone that claims to negotiate on, on, on behalf of, of of any any given entity has to be able to 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 document that they actually have. Uh, the support and and the mandate to do so uh uh but and then it sort of becomes a, a bit irrelevant um uh, whether you have the formal documents in place uh, i mean uh so so there's a a, a a little a little bit of a difference there I, I j- just as an example we appointed uh, uh uh, John Henriksen as the international representative of the Senate Parliament of Norway to to, to represent us in in, uh, in the uh, UN process on the uh, on the world conference, and he didn't have a uh, we didn't have an access ex- we didn't have a, a ECOSOC status so we couldn't issue any uh, access card or any pass- UN passport for him. Uh, so he had to borrow one from Evghia. Uh, uh so he was there basically without an office a physical office he was there but uh i mean because he had a mandate and could document that he represented someone i mean you could bypass the system and be uh regarded as, uh, as a true representative regardless uh, of 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 your formal documents and um, that's also why he was uh, uh, um, also appointed by the Secretary General as a as a co facilitator for the negotiating process. I mean, uh, he was appointed by the UN, but he didn't have a, 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 he didn't have a formal access document to even get into the building. <laughs> so, so, so that's the, the the paradox here. So, so we are still uh, trying to confront that but i i think the most important thing is not whether you have to do it through an organization or an ngo you have to uh, stretch the system a bit just to get inside uh, as long as uh, you you have an un- unquestionable mandate from your people you're fine uh, i mean uh, th- that's where uh you you will get your um, voice heard and 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 people will see through yeah that
0: thank thank you so much rune um like we're we're coming to the end of this segment anything that you really want to talk about that we did not discuss but you really want to um say or want people to think about
6: well i think uh one thing that we all should t- think about uh, when we work in, in indigenous advocacy is that often we are ourselves our worst enemies uh, 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 and and that's um, the, the people are uh, we have to we often discuss principles but then our Uh, neighbor becomes the president of uh, something that we have created and we don't like our neighbor. Okay, we shoot it down. (laughs) So, so, I I mean, uh, that is also, I I hear often that uh, people criticize in our setting, in the Sámi community, some may criticize that Norwegian government uh, or whichever government doesn't pay Adequate, adequate respect to to our president. Well, uh, that all begins with the fact that we ourselves give that position uh, uh, the status that we wanted to have. We pay the position the respect, and then we have to tolerate that uh, that maybe it it is our our neighbor that holds that position that we might not like personally but we shouldn't attack the position because of that. That is to take it down on a very small level but it this is something that I think is universal and and is a challenge. Uh, when we all really come together and and put those things aside and we identify the things that we should fight for uh, as uh, as peoples uh, we have shown through the history, especially in the U.N. system, that we can succeed. And that's, uh, uh, I, 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 I think we should never underestimate the strength that we have ourselves. We have always focus on the things that we don't have, but don't underestimate the things that we do have.
0: Thank you, thank you so much Rune, for, for that final point I think it's very relevant um, mostly overlooked by a lot of indigenous peoples Thank you so much for highlighting that let me end by saying um, thank you so much summer parliament of Norway for like um, the efforts the amount of effort uh, that you have pushed uh, uh, put into like the World conference uh, process um, like doing all the logistical the technical support and yourself as well um, like a lot of we always um, yeah, look at the people that are like the leadership, but also, also, it's also important to acknowledge the people that do hard work behind the scenes. Um, so I would, in addition, of course, to uh, for the, the President of the National Parliament of Norway, I would like to very much thank you so much for your, for your work and looking forward to keep on working and, and, and talking to you. Thank you so much, Arun.
6: Thank you. Thank you for inviting
1: right thank you thank you i would also like to express my gratitude to sami in parliament in norway and also to rune you know the alta conference is very it's overwhelming <laughs> and i think it's a very precious experience for a lot of indigenous peoples who have who had participated in that meeting as for alta it was the culture of the youth caucus and we had very difficult discussion in those 3 days but I learned a lot and also all these experiences are still very useful, I would say, for me until now, till now because I'm not in politics and I was experiencing politics at that time already. So yeah, thank you for preparing me <laughs> to be in the politics. And uh, okay, now let's come to, I think now will be our final speaker today. And let's welcome, uh, S- again, Esther, Bancho Castro Diaz, sorry for my pronunciation, and he is indigenous from the Kuna peoples. He provides assistance to the uh, indigenous leaders from, I'm not so sure if I can pronounce it like this, COICA, the coordinator of indigenous organizations of the Amazon River Basin, and other from Latin America and their base organizations to advocate for RED, R-E-D-D, Uh, and other priorities they might have at the COPS meeting of the UNFCCC. And he facilitates uh, Kweka's and other indigenous leaders engagement on panels and site events and assists in preparation of proposals or submissions to the UNFCCC, including on the platform for traditional knowledge he also elaborates of a training guide on the rights of indigenous peoples, REDD plus and safeguards, taking into account the local reality and with an indigenous approach and perspective of the um, Mesoamerica Meso- and South America regions as a tool of the training process. And I would say that's very, I would really like to listen to his, um sharing because as I mentioned earlier that it's very much in needed that we need to have someone to provide all this assistance for us to navigate ourselves in all this complicated process and also all these details that might take us a big lead but if we don't pay attention or if we don't get the the insights to those details it might take us years to go to go through all this process. So, again, Gonzali, it's your time, and also Estebancio. Um,
0: yeah, Estebancio, if ever there's one person, at least in my view, that is right in the middle of the the, the, the triangle uh, climate change, biodiversity, and human rights, it is Estebancio. Like, he's very much involved in all three, has, not, not not only involved, but also very experienced in all three Um, Yeah, um, streams, uh, elements of indigenous rights advocacy. Estevancho, how are you doing? Um, How hard is, um, I know that COVID-19 is hitting Kuniyala very hard. Um, How are you doing right now? Yeah, I think you have to like, um, make sure that your microphone is, um, working. So if you go to them, yep. And now put it on unmute. All right. Um, if you see the mute but mute button there's a, there's an arrow that po- points up, click on it. And then it says, select a microphone. So, and you can uh, pick the microphone that you're using. That works, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, while it's a bunch, I was trying to figure that out, uh, I just got word from, from uh, Hendain, of course it is, um, a holy day, uh, for, for the, uh, for our Muslim, uh, community. So that's why it was a lot of interference, um, w- with, uh, his, his connection. Um, so he, he, he excused himself and we'll hopefully we'll, we'll be able to bring him back, um, the, the next, the next uh, session. Um, so hopefully as is able to make it work, hold on. It's not working, eh? Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of a lot of things I can do from, from here, though. You want to switch over to your phone? Okay, so you log log off and go back to your phone. Sure, that, that's fine. Um, apologize, everyone. Uh, we we are oh, well we we're, we're just rock and roll. We're just trying to make best with uh, what what we, what we can. Um Jocelyn, so yeah. I think we yeah. have to talk for a little bit before much <laughs> can, can come back.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: Uh, yeah, we talked about constitutional reform, sovereignty, uh, self-determination. What stood out from you uh, so far? Anything anything?
1: I was still thinking about this question that. How can we bring, I mean, no, actually for me, self-determination and sovereignty, the very base is in us, you know, our individual, our own behavior, our own decision-making, and also how can we make control of ourselves? I mean, like, for example, uh, in the podcast we had last year, we talk about wearing indigenous attire. Mm -hmm. I think that's also something that we can start practicing to really exercise what is um, self-determination, right? Because as I mentioned earlier, and as our discussion saying that we, sometimes we thought we had to look in a certain way to prove that we are indigenous enough to be able to speak for our people. But why? Why do we have to prove that? I mean, prove proof of we are indigenous enough to, I don't know, to the government or to someone else. I think the only people that we should really, in a way to get the recognition or to get the, uh, yeah, to get the recognition from would be our own people. If our own people approve us, we don't need <coughs> to put down our traditional attire to announce that we are indigenous. And I guess that's also something, you know, self-determination mean that we should be able to make this kind of decision without being required by others yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I think I think I made a, a um, like a, a tweet about that like it being indigenous is like being Superman um, mm-hmm. not that we have superpowers not that I know of for one uh, I, I think um, but um, Superman is still superman whether he wears his glasses or not in these people's are still indigenous peoples whether we wear our traditional attire or not you know and it is up to us uh, like you said like to decide uh, whether we t- wear our traditional attire um like yeah it is we don't have to we don't have to prove anything like i'm not asking a representative of the, the swiss government or the german government or um the panamanian government to um wear his his or her traditional clothes uh, so that i can identify him as being from that from that from that country Um, so that's, yeah, that's, I think that's, I think that's also, it's a very good part of self-determination. A lot of people think about self-determination about country and state, Mm. um, but it's, it goes beyond that. It goes more into the deeper, into the individual choices that we make as indigenous, um, individuals.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if we can practice like, you know, to every indigenous individuals, then I think naturally we have better sense of how can apply self-determination to, I don't know, like a community or even state level because we practice ourselves, practice it ourselves every day in our daily life anyway. So
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Hopefully everyone can stay like 10 to 15 minutes longer with us uh, uh, as the Bancho is, is with us right now. I can hear him. So that, that, that's good. Yeah, this works. <laughs> oh, perfect nice haircut by the way love it love it <laughs>
2: uh, just, disc- just remind, yeah. remind me that i'm in the jail
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy like no 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 you're not you're not well it feels like jail um but it certainly hopefully it is not full disclosure um there's a bunch of very good friend of mine like i already said it in in, in, in the introduction uh about where he is in terms of like indigenous movement um very active and very um influential as well uh, so wh- what i wanted to ask you is how like we all i've heard we all heard that, that covid 19 is hitting kuniyala very hard um lost a cacique um a chief um a couple of days ago um how did the yeah how are you experiencing quarantine now before we go into like indigenous movements, indigenous rights etc cetera, etc cetera? Okay,
2: I'm, I'm going to be very quickly. I knew that uh, to be the last speaker was going to be complicated because you can have a lot of time or you can, you're going to have less time. So that's fine. Uh, thank you for the introduction, Jocelyn and, and Ghazali, and, and all the rest of the panelists who have been uh, before me uh, expressing your ideas. I think that that's great ideas. I'm probably going to be repeating some of them. Uh, regarding to your question, uh, we as Akuna peoples uh, live a very complicated situation. Uh, one, because, uh, we, our region is considered difficult access, which has been perfect for us because the colonization uh, is stopping the colonization, is stopping the, the foreign, how uh, uh, you say, uh, attack or, or come to our lands and territories but now uh, make us difficult because the uh, uh, lack of medicine uh, the basic medicine uh, some of you already highlighted uh, and also uh, the basic uh, food uh, that is needed for the communities and then uh, the quarantine make difficult uh, because then we have to think about the uh, about the benefit of the Whole community or just one person, so that's a very difficult. What we have now, the, COVID, uh, the COVID-19, I think that didn't bring any extra human rights violations or and other things. I think that the uh, the only thing that COVID-19 is uh, COVID-19 brought to this discussion is that uh, make visible the our real. Uh, situation of indigenous people that we have in our communities because we have still discrimination. We have uh, still, uh, as uh, Hortensia say, uh, support from the national government. We have the uh, we don't have the uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, a strong uh, legal and politics framework on the rights of indigenous people and many communities of the Latin American. So that's made difficult uh, for indigenous peoples really uh, face directly and try to control the COVID nineteen. So that's uh, more or less quickly because I know that there are coming another questions. So and I have ten minutes. So
0: yeah. No 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 um, you don't you don't have to rush through anything um, of course um, zooming in on um the movement and um, the the work that that you do that we're both involved involved in uh, let me start with an easy one um, talk to me about what attracts you in the movement what are you a fan of
2: hey that that's a very funny question because this can go wrong like jocelyn did <laughs> I, I think that uh, one thing that i uh, really attract me uh when i first time went to the u.n I think that uh, uh, the elders uh, from North America, from Pacific, especially, uh, and, and they uh, advise me saying something like, uh, "Hey, boy, you know that that takes time to get to achieve something here at the UN." That's one thing that I stay and I one thing that uh, as Arunes say, we may have different opinions because we have a different environment, we have a different regions, but still, what attract me is the, at the end of the day or at the end of the week, we have a collective opinion all together and try to push and achieve at least one sentence, two sentence, one policy, that gonna be very helpful for indigenous people so that's what attracted me the collective work that we still maintain as indigenous peoples yeah we may uh contradict ourselves we may uh disagree the opinion from the other regions but at the end of the day we try to manage to have at least one or two three uh ideas that could work for the benefit of of all indigenous peoples. So that's uh, what I try me. and also the indigenous people, I'm, I'm I'm fan of the indigenous people's di- diplomacy. I think that that's very important. I think that many as you in your introduction of my, my person stated, I have been in three different uh, UN agencies, which has, has changed by the time because we are there. So, the indigenous diplomacy need to be where the indigenous people's discussion is active. Because if we are not there, anyway, uh, the state representatives, the UN agencies will take the control, uh, will decide what they need to do, and then that's going to be more difficult for our people when the policies come directly from international level to the national level. So that's what we need to avoid. So that I can say that I'm number one fan of the indigenous people diplomacy. And I appreciate very much the the young indigenous people should come to this arena and try to do the best and continue the work that our elders, because we just coming by, coming by, uh, going by uh, in this arena, in this forest but uh, we're not permanent here. So we need o- obviously changes and different people and updating and stuff.
0: Uh, um, as Vancho, you were one of the key players, uh, for example, in the, in the Paris um, Agreement, uh, in terms of like indigenous people's rights um, being reflected. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about that because what a lot of people think or they don't know is that we are fighting hard for like one words in in a particular uh, sentence, um, that, and a lot of people think that we, we come in and that that um, yeah we we put in like entire paragraphs like like pages of the document. Um, the, like what, what what would you like what can you tell up to these people about like what you said, like it's about small steps. It's about, um, yeah, the 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 keeping, keep coming back.
2: I, I think that, yeah, that's a very good question. I think that, uh, I think that we need to develop those uh, uh, answers to questions like this, because people can understand. Because some sometimes, as Arune always, also say, you know, we are our own enemies. You know, uh, because uh, I'm not here, and how can be they be fighting for one paragraph, but they don't understand the background of the history of that. For example, uh, I remember uh, talking about the UNFCCC and related to this matter is that uh, when I came in 2008 to the uh, to the UN uh, climate change conference. They only talk about the business. Is <coughs> what they say. I came uh, on the corridor and talked with the uh, uh, diplomats and tried to explain the importance of the indigenous people's rights. In order, uh, we are talking now about the red. That time, uh, in order to red, make more uh, acceptable for indigenous peoples. I think that as some people remember, is what they say. Is is a slogan that we made. About uh, uh, no rights no rights you know. Because for us, it's important to be reflected because it's the only thing that we have in order to uh, minimize the, the negative impact uh, the policy may have in the future. So, 2008, they didn't want to see even human rights, and everybody that they start supporting this work, and they would say uh, just codori. Geneva or New York this is what the the human rights is there but uh, now after we can say 12 years after no I'm sorry after seven years and when because we're talking about the Paris agreement uh, we see the change we see the biggest step that we have made only because we started loving the state uh friend of group a group of friends sorry uh, that can make you work and we can go continue with our work because we really knew that if they talk in business the only thing that really matter is that we have uh, the implementation of the human rights the implementation of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and other related instruments that exist. If we don't do that, we may not have a policy that could not help in the future. For example, now we uh, we talk about the Article Six is still on, and uh, probably people think one oh, article. They fighting all day and spending uh, until four o'clock in the morning, you know. But they think that the importance that they have. Uh, and this is a recommendation for the young people to, to contact people who have been in this process and understand that's not one day uh, for one day the other day. That has been years, years of, of, uh, of the things that uh, we have learned in the process. And also we have been educating the, the government representative as well because they change so uh so many times for example every four years sometime because the government changed uh the state changed the new government so that's uh that's what i think that uh the importance of uh of the paris agreement and especially and uh, when we, when we talk about uh i know that we're not talking about the indigenous uh knowledge system mm-hmm. but i think that it is important to mention because it's one of the, in one of the paragraph uh, mentioned that uh, indigenous knowledge system and not, we not mentioned any indigenous traditional knowledge because traditional knowledge for some of us is nothing, you know, it's not dynamic, it's static. But we know that from our communities, our our indigenous knowledge system is a system, is a knowledge that uh, has been developed and keep developing. So we, we need to take the, this paragraph, maybe I only have like a six sentences that mean a lot of things and mean, and, and also uh, help uh, help to indigenous peoples on the, at the national level, to look uh, after uh, the work that the government is doing in indigenous communities, or not doing indigenous communities, but they have an obligation with the Paris Agreement. And also, uh, for example, one of the things is the uh, national uh, determined contributions, you know, how they are doing. And I've been reading uh, lately uh, many of the Latin American uh, documents and saying, and most of the indigenous communities even don't know what they really selling to the UNFCCC. So that's, uh, I think that that's the importance uh, that this uh, Paris Agreement uh, for us. And I think that uh, we need to keep working on this. We need to make, uh, understand this in order to make more easy our work at the national level.
0: And oh, also something that has, uh, has been emerging over the last couple of years, um, not only climate change, human rights, enhanced participation, um, regions trying to, trying to deal or not, not deal, uh, but communicate with other regions. Um, dealing with or approaching, for example, these people from Latin America. What is the biggest advice you would give to these people from other regions? Because it is, it is not as black and white, or not as easy as people think it is. Um, I would assume, like from from experience.
2: Yes, I think that. Uh, um yeah, i think that, as i say probably rune will be laughing on this and and we have seen in the caucus and also Tobe who has been many years in our focuses especially uh, for the working group on indigenous populations and later on different uh, uh un agencies meeting uh for example uh, sometime uh, uh the difficulties that uh, that we have uh as, as a latin american delegate is the uh, language barrier has been one thing that, and that makes difficult to other people to understand the work uh the work that uh, uh need to do or, or how to approach indigenous people from latin america i think that uh, we have organization established for example uh we have uh uh, in the Indigenous International Forum on Biodiversity. Uh, we have a, a platform for a, a regional discussion of uh, Indigenous people in different matters. Uh, for example, uh, there are a group of, uh, for biodiversity, for uh, climate change, uh, and other topics that uh, have been emerging uh, lately. So it's not that there... Is no existence of indigenous uh, bases or indigenous peoples uh, from Latin America uh, being having infrastructure there exists. The thing is that I I feel, uh, and my recommendation is what you ask is to ask to the people uh, from the other regions to not approach because I'm I'm handsome because uh, I'm a happy person. I'm quite funny. No, approach to the people who have been in the process. And approach uh, to the people, to the elders, and and ask the question, uh, what can we do? I think that uh, all the Latin American group, uh, they are open. They are open to to explain their position, what they think. Because one thing that uh, we have to understand, as Rune say, we have differences. We have, uh, we live in different, uh, background and grassroots systems for example uh, uh, the Nordic countries have different kind of development and we we live in the dear world countries so that's made differences that that uh, has been possible to to understand each other so yeah my recommendation is that please do, uh, do not take this granted because you meet a Latin America and you think that this is how it works. There are places that you can approach, as I say, the platform. For example, I cannot talk, uh, well, uh, in many processes uh, about the Andean indigenous peoples because they have their own group. Uh, of course, we have one group to meet all together. And, and we have a COICA with Amazon Basin. And we also have a... Uh, Charco group and we have the uh, Mesoamerican group can you imagine we have a big four groups which is also divided in small groups so we really need to take this into account not to think Latin American is one thing this is and and probably the same thing in Africa Africa have a francophone uh, uh, English speakers uh, even Spanish speakers they have you know so this is how I I think that uh, and people uh, and state representatives need to understand that uh, even that we have in one region as a Latin American and Caribbean, but we have a differences. We have a, our own ideas, which need to be, need to bring together. And then we, can you imagine how work is starting and very sure in different regions as well. You need to get agreement in your own regions and then come back and agree with another seven regions and then go with this uh to, the, uh to the with the diplomats and see if we can work uh our ha- work how go ahead for the benefit of indigenous peoples of the world
0: at um i've like two small questions actually um in, in terms of your best moment working for um indigenous people's uh rights at the u n and you, you uh, by the way and you cannot mention that meeting that you and i and matthias had at the next <laughs> mission you can you can, you can you mention that one <laughs> um and like what would you like to see develop for Indigenous peoples in the next 10 years Ooh,
2: okay um well i, I think actually that was my my answer when i <laughs> not really uh, that is part of the uh interview i i think that uh the best moment whether I, I, I was there or not in presence that was the uh, UN uh, adoption of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, because uh, that uh, brought me uh, all the moments that we have as a region, as a individuals, uh, the, war, uh, the collective work that we did and then we just achieved I know that the document is not perfect, but we can work out with this, and that's the important thing, uh, I guess, in my life to see uh, that document be adopted, and and also, in, in that moment, I felt all the people uh, from North American, uh, from Pacific that I have met elders that uh, no longer they were they were in that moment to see that they just uh, leave the legacy, you know, that people that we have met, and I just feel happy for them.
0: And,
2: and hopefully that they will look in that they down here and say, oh, yes, we, we just got it. Maybe not perfect, but we just got it. So that's one thing. I think that, that this, because also for me, this document has been important, not only for the UN itself, but also for the UN agency. For example, as you say, uh, U.N. framework on climate change has been, you know, because in in 2010, we uh, made to reflect the U.N. Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People in Bosnia. I think it was in Bosnia. Yeah, well, one of the scopes that, and it was reflected because it's a document that opened the doors. And also. uh, the change of the traditional knowledge work, uh, to indigenous knowledge, uh, within the, uh, UN CBD meetings. So those are things that are, for me, has been important and continue being important. For example, I know, I know that the, this question coming later on, the enhanced participation is so important for us, uh, for the same reason, because that's gonna change different discussion, different for us, gonna be more open, and probably our rights be more reflected, uh, implemented at the national level. So that was, um, now, the 10 years, the 10 years, as I say, since the beginning, uh, when I started, people already say, this is a turtle. The UN system is a turtle just step by step, step by step. So it's okay. Uh, But then I I just think, okay, uh, we established the UN Permanent Forum, the Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. Uh, We uh, somehow changed the uh, working group on Indigenous populations to the expert mechanism on the rights of Indigenous peoples. Uh, Maybe the mandate are not, the ones that we wanted to have, but step by step we have been moving ahead. So what we don't have in AMREP and, and permanent forum or the special rapporteur in the uh, uh, mandate, and I, I see that in the, in ten years we will have more specific mandates as as soon as I say, protecting our own people. Our people, our resources, our lands and territories. So I hope that in 10 years, we have uh, new institutions. uh, We may have a better understanding of the issues that how to go further with our proposals. okay right
1: thank you well i have to say first i couldn't really recognize you as because <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you lose a lot of weight <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's <They're> good. <laughs> okay, so oh, actually, I want to ask a, a final question. I know we really over time for I don't know half an hour or something like that, but I really want to ask this final question, especially to you, because I think you know the situation that I've been um, confronting at the United Nations that because Taiwan is not recognized <coughs> as a country by United Nations, and so that make you know that really challenged me a lot for the past 15 years for me to go to united nations but i found a a possible opportunity for us because you know for the people who are not recognized it's not only the indigenous people in taiwan but also a lot of indigenous people around the world they are not recognized by their countries they are not recognized by by uh, internationally but uh, there's this discussion about having indigenous entity as the observer or any kind other kind of actor that can be recognized and also to be an um, uh, official participant to the United Nations. So besides the state government, the indigenous entity might also be possible to participate in this process in the more I would say in a way with more dignity and also I think that's something we really want because Indigenous entities, Indigenous government is not NGO, we are not NGO, we are not non-governmental organizations. So I would like to ask you what do you see that if this really possible maybe in 10 years or in some time and also what would would that be really an another kind of opportunity for indigenous peoples to really have uh enhanced participation in this whole process
2: oh thank you Jocelyn. yes i just uh, uh you respond to your first question yes i have lost uh, a lot of weight because of the COVID 19 but uh, anyway i feel okay that's okay that's fine maybe i'm missing a lot of agazali to you and other people so i'm getting sick <laughs> not really hey okay um about your question about the uh, uh indigenous movement and stuff i think that uh, this is the last question you say so i'm gonna try to put all together i i believe that uh, the 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 enhanced participation of indigenous people within the un system is possible it's possible within the 10 years but uh, i think that uh, uh and also regarding to your question back home, is that uh, it's not that uh, we are asking uh, to the government uh, if we are indigenous peoples or not. It's why we have the UN Declaration uh, talking about the self identifications Who who are they to say that uh, we are not indigenous peoples? You know and our self-determination uh, to, to pursue our economic, uh, cultural and economic development is important for us. And they may need to understand as, uh, as Hortensia highlighted as well in, the, in her comments. I think that uh, um, the work uh, that we do at the international level as an indigenous people's movement has been, has been important. I think that, uh, uh, for example, uh, I would like to uh, remind to all indigenous peoples uh, that uh, the work, what we are asking in this process is not from three years ago, five years ago. We're talking about from the 70s or maybe beyond of that. You know, uh, for example, um, when we talk about enhanced participation how we want to see uh, now we have a one document uh, which uh, we have our uh, our paper also we have a keto document they are not new documents they are documents who, who came as a as a high highlight as well from the regions from the global uh, consultation in alta out document for the world conference on indigenous peoples so we cannot uh, say this is something new that we are doing, uh, this is, shouldn't be allowed to do that, and Indigenous people should not ask to that because they have been listening all the processes that we have been on for a long time, even since the beginning, since the establishment of the Working Group on Indigenous People in 1982 or before that. For example, for example if we read the UN trip, I'm sorry, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, we may don't understand. But if you ask to the people who have been in this process to explain uh, article by article, you may understand how it came uh, to reflect on the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So, so those things are very important that we need to take. Our, ourselves understand that uh, the enhanced participation is possible. The enhanced participation also make gonna make easy, not easy, but a more flexible way to move indigenous people from uh, from the UN system itself to the other UN UN agencies. Uh, for example, uh, we still don't we still don't have uh, full and effective participation. Uh, and in UNESCO, for just to mention one, uh, from the health uh, organization, or health war organizations, or war health organization, <clears throat> and, and others that make to understand that things have been changing and need to be updated as well as a as I state uh, where we live uh as an individual, also or, or as a collective indigenous peoples so i think that uh that's important and i think that uh yeah it is possible uh and, and gonna be an, another big step uh and but we need to continue because every time uh the world is changing and we need to adapt to that and also we need to protect our people our lands and territories and resources
1: Great, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that day to come and that will really open up <laughs> another, yeah. Po- yeah, like I think the world will be really different if that could really happen. So thank you again. And also I would like to thank all the speakers tonight, uh, today, because it's, it's night in Taiwan, but it's a yeah, different time in other parts of the world. But anyway, and also I would like to thank the interpreters again, Thank you for being um, so for being with us and also doing such a great job. And we hope all audience, you all enjoy episodes of the uh, webinar series. The next episode will be um, Friday, August 7th, again, 2 p.m. in Geneva time. And uh, we'll uh in taiwan that will be 8 pm <laughs> and but anyway we'll have new guests from all over the world again in our next episode and you can sign up right now already just go to uh linker ee slash go maluku okay and again we would like to thank the interpreters for their amazing support the guests for sharing their thoughts and time and also the partners in the special series That would be Thomas Aflac-Jusso, Zosip, uh, Drumbeat Media, and TV Indigena. And please help us to keep the conversation going on Twitter with the hashtag HowToIndigenousNow, and you can tag Gonzali in your post. Again, Gonzali, uh, on Twitter, you can tag him. It's at G-O-M-A-L-U-K-U and feel free to share any questions, screenshots, or feedback. And again, thank you for watching and hope to see you next week.
3: Bye. Thank Thank you, you. everybody. And Gasali, thank you very much. Uh, This is just a great idea. This is communication for empowerment. We need to speak out our voice, our aspiration. Congratulations and thank you, everybody. Stay strong and stay sane.
0: That's it. That's the end of the episode. Um hope you enjoy the podcast, of course. Um do me a favor and open your browser. Go to linktree slash gomaluku. So that's linktr.ee slash gomaluku. If you're a watcher, I'm also posting on YouTube. If you're a reader, I got you on Medium. Um don't have a lot of time. I got you on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Um on all these platforms I'm documenting and posting content um, so you'll find all these links on the linktree slash gomaluku so let's connect on these platforms i really appreciate all of you that, that i'm already connected with on these platforms um, thank you so much and have a great day this is the gomaluku podcast